Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Coming up this week on the MarkCast. Here we are, really peak alt football season here. CFL preseason is here. USFL Week 7. XFL wrapping everything for 2023. Lots of things going on in the world of alternate football TV. CFL giving away its games. Part of its games for free in the U.S. XFL ratings, did they end high? USFL now ratings could be, could be better here following the XFL 2023 season completion. We are talking everything alt football TV today. Do not adjust your sets it is not wonka vision it is alt football vision wonka vision my very latest and greatest invention it's television uh it's wonka now i suppose you all know how ordinary television works you photograph sure i do you photograph something then the photographs are split up into millions of tiny pieces and they go whizzing through the air down to your tv set where they're all put together again in the right order you should open your mouth a little wider when you speak Really exciting show today. A longtime friend of the podcast, Greg Parks returns XFL board. Uh, Greg hates talking about XFL TV ratings, hates writing about them, yet he is doing both and more here. Coming on the show, we are recapping. Was XFL 2023 a TV rating success? We discuss. You know, you're talking about were the ratings good? Were they successful? Well, to who? Right? In what context? And the only context that matters is the XFL and ESPN because they're the ones who are the only ones showing out money for this and and that money is going to either continue to fund the league or not and then do not adjust your television sets that is right from three down nation john hodge himself stopping by we are talking everything cfl preseason the health of the cfl cfl plus should the cfl be giving away half of its games in america for free and more this is a loaded conversation you will not want to miss i think the temperature north of the border talking to people in the league is there's a hope that if either league stays around, um, it won't be for much longer. And I, I'm not saying that as a malicious you know, wish of fans. This is not a representation of how fans are feeling or how the public is feeling, but for obvious reasons with the competition, personnel, people in the CFL are hoping that these American leagues die. And then we have survived the great CFL preseason thunderstorm of 2023. We are streaming our games on CFL Plus, and we have Ryan Ballantyne stopping by, former Big Brother Canada contestant, doing a full team breakdown of the Calgary Stampeders. Also getting Ryan's thoughts on the health of the CFL, and what does he think of CFL Plus streaming in America? This is the most financially lucrative U.S. broadcast deal they've ever signed. I'll take it. 
Any anything that brings more money into the league is is better. And then Trey Ford, one of the quarterbacks for your Edmonton Elks, stopping by the program. And then we have two separate USFL Week Seven previews featuring Eric Eager of Sumer Sports and Josh Shepardson of Fantasy Pros. Like I said, loaded show. Hope you enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to the Marcast. Reed here. Uh, teased this a little bit this week. Said we might be mending fences, uh, putting the white flag for one of the long-standing feuds of the Marcast. We have John Hodge himself stopping by today from Three Den Nation. Really appreciate that. I was, you know, purchasing my. Uh, now we're going to our third Grey Cup here coming up in November. Purchasing my flights this week for Hamilton, and I thought. You know, the world is really small. Uh, the CFL world, the alt football world wanted to reach out to John over at Three Down Nation, said, hey, might have been a little brash coming into the CFL with all the XFL talks here a couple years ago. What do you think about coming on the show? Uh, John is great. Really excited. A long, extended talk with John. Really appreciate his time talking everything CFL Plus on here. Before we get to that today, I'm uh, getting Greg Parks on. Greg did a deep dive over on XFL Board. If you want to check that out, uh, Greg is lamenting the fact that he has to talk and write about XFL TV ratings. Yet We are going to do more of that today. Ending the season, kind of doing the post uh, recap here. I know we had Bill Shea on last week talking the championship game. We have USFL Week 6 TV ratings, kind of seeing how the USFL perform uh, without the XFL, kind of crowding the landscape. So we're going to talk through that with Greg, get Greg's thoughts on the XFL ratings, and then we're going to kind of segue now. We're moving into CFL. John, extended talk, like I said, everything, health of the CFL, what do CFL you know, coaches and staff, what do they think of the XFL and the USFL? Is John uh, higher or lower on the XFL now that they have completed their season? A really, really good talk with John. And then moving into CFL, like I said, Ryan Ballantyne stopping by, uh, covering the Calgary Stampeders for Three Down Nation. I mean, this is like basically a Three Down Nation uh, sister channel this week. But we have Ryan Ballantyne. I watched him on Big Brother Canada. Really excited. We've bantered back and forth for years, but really excited to get him on the show uh, here to kind of do the you know interview portion. And then Trey Ford, we were going to have Dave Campbell on uh, doing an Edmonton Elks kind of post preseason game. You know, what do we think of the Elks this season? Dave is sick. I blame the weak uh, Canadian immune systems. I'm just kidding. But I think Dave's whole family is out. So we have Trey Ford on. It was going to hold that episode till next week. We have Trey coming on the program. Get a lot of questions. You know, why isn't Trey seeing more field time? Uh, Trey seems like a wonderful kind of upbeat guy. Hope you enjoy the interview. And then uh, not one, but two uh, at USFL week seven previews this week. Like I said, Eric Eager over at Sumer Sports. Eric joined us back talking XFL and then Josh Shepperson from Fantasy Pros coming on. I like getting a couple of different unique takes on that, kind of what are they looking forward to. Eric's really good with kind of the betting odds and the over and unders and everything uh, heading into the matchups. And then Josh is great. I thought we had a fun conversation there about uh, – you know, is are the Philadelphia Stars? Is that the fat Colby of uh, Survivor All Stars? So really, or I guess it was Survivor Heroes versus Villains. But really appreciate that. So uh, six really good interviews today. I hope you guys enjoy. Like and subscribe. We'll check back in at the end of the program. Try to get us up to thirty five hundred subscribers. Uh, we'll give away tickets to a championship game of your choosing. When we get there, hope you guys enjoy. See you at the end. Thanks. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Well, last I spoke with this gentleman, we were uh, very fuzzily live in uh, in San Antonio. Greg was crystal clear here. I'm looking great as well. Talking XFL championship game. Now we're back. We have a lot to talk about. Greg hates writing about XFL TV ratings, but yet that's what we do on here. That's what we talk about. We have lots of football talk on the show. We also have the XFL showcases to go through real quick as well. Greg, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Reed. Thanks for having me on. Uh, did the XFL championship game just live up to your expectations? I think so. Um, you know, I think there was some fear of a DC blowout, uh, which didn't happen. I mean, it wasn't a blowout either way. I think that would have been th- probably the worst part about it. Uh, and really, I'm actually surprised. I know there was a lot of consternation about Arlington getting in the playoffs and there was some thought that maybe if they won the championship, some people would look at it as a little less than legitimate, but I didn't hear much of anyone complain about that. You know, they certainly earned their way beating, um, you know, two pretty strong teams on their way to uh, the championship. So uh, quibble if you must about them making the playoffs, but they certainly earned the championship. It was funny. I um, there was obviously a lot of complaints from our CFL brethren. You know, compl- like what is a trophy if you can't drink out of it? Uh, Coach Jaime had told me that they you know flipped the cup upside down and drank out of the base of the cup, which I thought was tremendous. I that had like a quarter million impressions on it. People really seemed to like the flipping the XFL championship upside down. Now it is funny because I see like I think it was Dallas. The trophy's making the rounds now, and I see all these news anchors like holding it. Taking photos with it, I'm like, they don't even know. They don't even know what's going well, on. Well, and, and that was my question. Like, they maybe they have a headquarters in Arlington. I'm seeing a lot of these press releases having Arlington in it, but it's like the Arlington Renegades don't have like a home. You know, they don't have a building where the Arlington Renegades work out of. So, like, where does the trophy go? You know, who keeps it? Does it go in on Bob Stoops' mantelpiece in his house? Like, I that was a, a question I had uh, after the game. But it sounds like it's kind of traveling around a little bit. 
That's good. Yeah, the traveling. Uh, maybe Danny will take her. I, I did see also Danny looks like they're going to be releasing some menswear from her uh, collection. So I might have to partake on that because it's been, <laughs> I think that GTSQ, I think it's been primarily female, but I did mm-hmm. see a tease for some menswear coming. So, well, I, I hope you'll, you'll model some here on the show. Yeah, I will. I'll buy some. I'll pop on some Danny merch <laughs> if they do that. Okay. So that profit. So Greg, it was, I think it was Tuesday. It's so proud. Greg tweets out like, Hey guys, I stumbled upon this on the website. It looks like because the XFL had announced their HBCU showcase, I think in Atlanta. And they said, Hey, I found these on. And then I think like half an hour later, XFL tweets it out, but you beat XFL to it. We have the XFL showcases for the summer. The there is a specialist one coming later, and then there's a combine at the end of July. I have the dates here. I did a shorts about it. Kind of any thoughts them re kind of repeating this again this summer. I mean, I think if they have the money to do it and, you know, who knows, they may actually make money on it, giving they're charging $260 a head um, and they'll probably get at least 100, if not more at each showcase. Uh, so they may end up coming out ahead. But anyway, um, you know, it, it on one hand, it's surprising because the quality of players they got um, in, in 2023 were so high that you really don't need to do this kind of open season tryout type of deal. You know, you can attract a high level player without doing that. But I think the other side of that coin is they're the league of opportunity. And they did have uh, a few players from these showcases that were put into the league and were on rosters. I, I crunched the numbers early in the season. I can't remember exactly how many they had that you know, we're from the showcases and I, I only had a couple of the showcase rosters. I think I was missing the last one or two. Um, but even from the first several, uh, there were players drafted. And so it, it's all just, you know, no stone unturned, right? It's, it's making sure that you have the highest quality of football, even if that means players who are not currently a part of any league or, uh, you know, who would attend these tryouts and pay $260 for the chance to be seen by coaches and DPPs. So uh, it, it is interesting that they're going back to it again. It uh, looks like very much a, a similar schedule. Uh, a lot of the same areas that they hit last year, even the time frames are, are similar in that, you know, you've got the specialist one that's much later than all of the other ones. I think that's going to be in late October again. Uh, the only thing different is the XFL combine, which I think is interesting. It's going to be select players from the showcases. I guess the quote unquote best players from the showcases will be invited to the combine. I, I'm not, really sure what the purpose of, of seeing them again is other than to maybe cross check, make sure, uh, you know, everybody really gets seen and everybody who's invited to be a part of that draft pool in November checks all the boxes necessary. Uh, but that is a, a major change from uh, 2022's summer showcase schedule. And I think, like, to be fair, maybe we don't fly ownership out to the combines this year or the showcases this year, right? We're not doing, like, the Hawaii one. Maybe we just get Danny and The Rock and them. Let's get them at the combine. Let's have, you know, we -hmm. can send out Bechter, whoever, Woodson, if they want to go to the things. We'll have Russ Giulio and all of that. And then maybe let's do ownership. And I think that will be a big shebang. I mean, that's obviously extended as well with the three days. And I think that will be kind of an all-hands-on-deck situation there. So maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe we parse out what 
what what staff we need at the actual show True. pages. Yeah, I mean, it could be, you know, St. Louis sends their DPP to the HBCU. You know, maybe Becht goes to the Atlanta one. And then at the Combine, you have, as you said, all hands on deck, head coach, DPP, maybe some of the key assistant coaches, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, anything else on this? A interesting. Last year, I think like the Hawaii one and one of them, the showcases, some of them were invite only. These appear open as long as you want to pay the entry fee. And then obviously the combine will be the invite only, but maybe you'll get some players, you know, that want to pay the 260. I think you said to, to get in on that, that maybe didn't have the opportunity before. Yeah, I mean, it could be that there are fewer uh, invite-only showcases here, and it could be a similar situation to last year where even if they're not uh, invite-only, you may have some players who are invited uh, to these showcases to work out, as we had on some of those uh, in, in last year as well. So it doesn't preclude people from being invited, but uh, it, they're certainly keeping a lot of room open on each of these for, for people to pay their own way. I just last notes. I mean, they're really doing it. Like you said, doubling down, doing the showcases last year, doing them this year. We've already been scouting. We're doing the rookie draft this summer. I mean, they're really putting a lot of time and energy, even more so even than last year. into like, we really want to make sure, like you said, league of opportunity, that like anybody that we're trying to get our eyes on can get a shot here. And it's smart. Uh, you know, you want to keep that level of play high. That's a big factor in getting people to watch the games. You certainly want to beat the USFL to some of these players. And we're seeing already uh, some players who tried out in rookie mini camps who could be tops on the list for XFL teams in that rookie draft next month already signing on with USFL teams. So um, a slight advantage maybe that the USFL has that they're in season so they can kind of get some of these guys and get them some professional game tape uh, before the end of the USFL season to try to get themselves back into NFL training camps. Um, you know, it, it's the XFL is, is going to be holding that draft. And the nice thing for them is that it doesn't preclude those players who are drafted from still getting into NFL training camps uh, this summer. And I want to do, we're going to do kind of a rookie draft show when all that happens, kind of like, is it the same as at the NFL, uh, the USFL college draft? Is it different? It feels a little bit more, I, I don't know if it's the same thing with a horse with a different color, but it does feel like at least getting these guys, okay, let's get you on our list here. Like we'll get you on the party list and then you can still do other stuff, but at least we mm -hmm. kind of have first dibs on that if we're interested. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was very different at first. The more I think about it, the more I think it's a little more similar than I thought. The big difference is, you know, the USFL was drafting guys before the NFL draft. So any of those guys could have been drafted. Any of those guys could have signed as free agents. The XFL is drafting them after the NFL draft. So they've already had the chance to hook on as undrafted free agents. So to me, the guys the XFL are, are drafting are more likely to end up in the XFL uh, next year than the guys that the USFL drafted ending up in the USFL. I think that's the difference to me. I agree. I agree. I think that's a very good way to put that. So I won't try to rephrase that any different. Uh, we have here that we'll get to the XFL. Was it a success here? Uh, your big ratings article. USFL this week, uh, averaging 451,000 across the four. We had two cable games, two network games. Those did, you know, 630 and then 730 for the for the Fox. Are you surprised? We talked a lot about the cannibalization of both of these leagues. Are you surprised that the USFL didn't tick up bigger here in week six? I am. Um, I, I think to some extent, 
I feel like that cannibalization is, um, I don't know, may, maybe over-exaggerated. I mean, when you think about the actual overlap, it's maybe three weeks. You know, I think the USFL started in XFL's week nine. So if you're talking actual overlap, there's really not a whole lot. Now, you could make the argument that having played nine weeks, there's that fatigue factor in fans, right? We're coming right off the, the full slate of NFL playoffs and regular season. You're kicking right into the XFL season, and then that leads right into the USFL season. So maybe it's not that head-to-head cannibalization, but it's just that fatigue factor of fans who just kind of need a break. I mean, that's certainly where I'm at. Like, I, I didn't watch the USFL next year, uh, last year. But, you know, even if I had, would I have the energy to, to devote my weekends to continue to watch football uh, every weekend? I think that's hard for a lot of people, especially we get into the summer months where more and more people are outside and things like that. So I am uh, surprised that the, the ratings for the USFL haven't um, gone up since the XFL uh, ended its season or had just not been higher, generally speaking, uh, XFL or not. Uh, and I'll apologize. This is Mike Mitchell's article. I just I have the reader view on because Mark has like a thousand ads over at USFL News Hub. But this is Mike's article. I just want to make sure I have the reader view just so it'd be a little bit more condensed here for us. I I still maintain USFL last year had had this. It was the confluence of it. You know, been two years since the XFL. We're hungry for this. It's the spring. There wasn't a lot where, you know, COVID was kind of getting out where you know, were watching. Like, I, I don't know if the USFL ever hits those highs again. I don't know if the XFL hits those highs. I mean, the USFL has had one game over a million this year, and that was the two million after the Kentucky Derby, which if you're, you know, an XFL apologist, you would say, well, that, you know, the Kentucky Derby and people just fell asleep and left the TV on or whatever. But are you surprised that we've only had the one million plus and we're really in this 600 to 700,000 range? I am. I, I thought that um, I was actually surprised the first week because they didn't hit a million on those network games. And I thought it being the first week, they'd be able to do that. Um, and, and I think it's especially surprising because heading into the season, people were just lauding the USFL schedule and rightly so, you know, they, they put more games on network TV. I think there was a more consistent time slot. These are all arguments that we're making that the XFL should be doing next year. Right. And it really hasn't increased the USFL's ratings um, significantly. Anyway, uh, of course there are, millions of other factors that, that go into that than just looking at the raw numbers, which I talked about in my article. Um, but if XFL fans think that the magic elixir to increase ratings is going to be more games on network TV and a more consistent time slot, the USFL is showing that that's not necessarily going to be the case. Now the XFL does have the advantage of, you know, setting that low bar in the first year where any kind of extra promotion, any kind of extra advertising in market, out of market, on national TV should boost the, um, you know, the, the profile of the XFL, where the USFL was already marketing itself pretty hard last year. You're seeing a lot of ads. I don't watch a lot of uh, shows on Fox. I think I just watch wrestling and NASCAR. But they have a lot of USFL, not just commercials, but the announcers will do ad reads, plugging games. So there's not a lot more Fox can do to further plug the USFL 
where, uh, you know, the XFL and ESPN can say, okay, this is where we hit. Now we have the potential to go even higher if we dedicate more resources, more money to that advertising effort next year. I do think the USFL, and I thought they were. I mean, I, I, I said that you go back. I thought they were going to come in and completely kill. Right. I did. And I think Fox, yeah, we're doing all this. You know, it's a little bit of the BDE. I get a little bit from Fox sometimes. Like, we're, you know, and it's been, like you said, a little more. It, it is, that's a really interesting point that I do think the ramp up for the XFL you know, if 120,000 rumored that they spent in, in marketing versus Fox, you know, I watched Undisputed today. They got the banners rolling coming up. Skip and Shannon are going to preview the weekend's games. You know, I mean, there a lot of time is being put into that where I think you can ramp up XFL a little bit more than you can ramp down USFL. Yeah, for sure. And, and that remains to be seen whether ESPN and the XFL are going to do that. I think there's been some talk. Uh, I think the article on The Athletic a week ago sort of hinted uh, that that's going to be the plan for year two is a little more in those areas. It, it might not be 100% more, but it could be just incrementally more enough to be noticed and enough to take this year's baseline ratings. And I mean, the other good thing, too, is, you know, you look at the XFL championship game. And again, this is something I wrote about in the article is uh, they retained over 90% of that viewership um, of, of the first week, over 80% of the 18 to 49 in that, from that first week. So you didn't see that really hard decline that would hint to you that you know, they've already hit their apex. Uh, yeah, so speaking of that, let's get to the main appetizer here. We got your XFL board up here. Uh, I... I, I didn't know if we were going to talk about this this week. And then you put a ton of work into this. I read it. I know it got shared. And I know Mike read it. And we said, let's have you on. Let's do kind of the final here. We have all the numbers, all the data. Obviously, go check out, you know, Greg's article here on the XFL board. Uh, so, my, so, Greg, what's the XFL rating success? You tell me. <laughs> well, it's complicated, <laughs> as, the, as the rest of the headline says. Um, I, I'm not, I don't feel qualified to answer that question. Um, and, and there's two there's two big missing components that we've all talked about, and that is the ESPN Plus viewership. Um, we don't know other than the ESPN press release that said that the championship game was the most watched XFL game on ESPN Plus this year, which, again, you would take as another good sign, I assume. And the other thing we don't have is the ESPN and XFL's expectations for ratings this year. Uh, I think ESPN has said it met expectations. Um, you know, Danny Garcia has said at different times they're, they're happy with where they are. They, they do have room for improvement. The rock, when he was tweeting about it, was saying, Hey, baby steps. We're not lighting the world on fire, but we're, we're getting there. We're, we're taking baby steps. Right. So, you know, they're not out there waving the banner like mission accomplished. <laughs> you know, they know that there's still work to be done. And I think in a way that's encouraging that they know that um, there's still things that they can do to push those numbers forward next year. So um, without those two pieces of data, I, I just think it's I'm not qualified to say whether or not the XFL was a rating success. Certainly it's getting to year two which is more of a success than the XFL has ever been. So that's an accomplishment in its own right that should be celebrated. Uh, but it, it's really not about year two. It's about sustaining this year to year. And we just haven't gotten there yet to know whether this is going to be something that, you know, we're not going to be sweating it out every year uh, going forward. 
Well, I'll tell you, I mean, you look here at FX and ESPN, you know, 425,000 average over the season. Greg's got all the time slots, everything. This way, you got to go do the deep dive on this. Like we just said, USFL averaged 450,000 viewers across four games with two of those on network windows this last weekend. So, you mm-hmm. know, you know, just you put a comparison there, you know, you got uh, 446,000 on ESPN, you know, and lower is cable and you can say ESPN and ESPN two are, are, are widely distributed. But you had a Fox two Fox and the, and the FS one and USA broadcast here versus four forty six on that. Were there any of the averages it, it surprised you, you know, obviously a little bit higher for ESPN with the six Oh six. Even though I think there's a misconception that ESPN two is somehow like a lesser network. They're generally distributed about the same. It's just that more people by default go to ESPN one. Is that how you kind of read that? Yeah, in terms of how many homes the channels are in, they're very similar. Um, but obviously ESPN is seen as the more prestigious network uh, by viewers and things like that. So they're more apt to go to that channel than ESPN two to check anything out. So that's kind of how I see that. There is a big difference, but I think if you go through the ratings for any sports properties that ABC ESPN owns, you're going to see that difference from, from ESPN to ESPN two. It's not, uh, it's not just the XFL games that are drawing that wide of a difference in ratings on those two networks. Uh, the, the averaging over a million, obviously we had the dips here, right? Week six and then nine and 10 uh, with the, uh, with the ABC games, but averaging over a million on that, I'll be curious with that 2 million, the USFL had with the Kentucky Derby. Does that raise that overall? Like, is that enough to raise that overall network above that million when all is said and done? But uh, what do you make of that, that the overall average being over a million here for uh, the XFL and ABC? I would certainly take it as a good sign. It's better than being under, Uh, you know, again, we don't know for a lot of these games that are on midday. uh, We don't have anything to compare it to. You know, I can go through and I can look at the FX ratings and I can say, this is what FX draws in prime time. This is what the XFL drew in prime time and say, yes, the XFL was above station average. I can do the same for ESPN two and say the, the, uh, XFL drew well above station average in in the the rating and the 18 to 49 the total viewership and the 18 to 49 compared to what ESPN2 does uh, in prime time but with ABC some of these games on the middle of the afternoon you don't have that again you don't have the data we're missing that piece that comparison piece to okay for example March 25th week 6 at 1 p.m. it drew 1. Uh, 047 million. Okay, but what did it draw the previous week at 1 p.m.? What did, what was the 10 week average before that? You know, so we, we just don't have those numbers. Um, you know, week six, that's the middle of the season where you had the March Madness competition. So I think that's what really dragged that down in week six. I think still drawing over a million in week six and week eight, even as slim as it was over a million, uh, are, are pretty good numbers to me. Uh, as a layman looking at these numbers. Um, so that's kind of my thing. And, and, you know, you talk about the USFL is that 2 million post Kentucky Derby going to be enough to uh, average it out over a million. I really, I don't think so simply because they have so many games on network on Fox or NBC that are drawing under a million. That's going to continue to draw that average down. Um, so it, it may hover around a million, um, you know, and the other thing is I, I applaud uh, USFL and, and NBC for putting a game on right after the Kentucky Derby. I think that's 
that's something that didn't make it into my article, but the lead-ins, you know, we don't have the information, the ratings on the lead-ins of, okay, what, what led into these games? What were the numbers leading into the games? I think it's fantastic that they had the opportunity to um, draw 2 million viewers after the Kentucky Derby year. You're, you're getting the rating up there, but you're also allowing a group of people who wouldn't otherwise sample your product to check it out. You know, the, the numbers don't say that um, people have gone back and watched it again a uh, week after, but, you know, giving them that opportunity, that's just smart scheduling on behalf of the USFL and NBC. And uh, I, I had a conversation on Twitter with someone about this is, yeah, you'd like to see a stronger lead-in, but those stronger lead-ins are live sports. So for ESPN, that would be NBA games. Well, if you're airing live sports and live games before the XFL games, you're going to run the risk of having it run over into the XFL slot and not starting a game on television until midway through the first quarter. Is that worth the trade-off of the strong lead-in? Or would you rather have a studio show that you know is going to end right when it ends to lead right directly into that game. So just another factor to kind of throw into this pile that I've written about here in this article of, of the strength of the lead-ins that that's not something we've really studied uh, leading into these games. Well, also I, I think it's kind of like boosting a post on Facebook, right? Like using some of these lead-ins where you're going to hit, you're hitting a lot more impressions on that, but the, the amount of, if for whatever it is, USFL, or, you know, I used to boost my wedding stuff. Like, you know, that you're going to hit more people, the number of people that are actually interested that, in you know, I know WWE tried that for years and let's bring in the NASCAR guy. Let's bring in uh, the the guy from Entourage, right? Remember the, what is it, the guest host <laughs> era. Oh, please don't remind me. Because was, I think, I think if you go back and if people that tracked the ESPN PR, the, the tweets every week that would come out from the XFL, I think you could tell how XFL felt about their ratings week and week, depending on the stats that they pulled from that. Oh, sure. Where if they, you know, if they had a million, it's like, hey, we you know, peaked, we peaked at 1.3 million, whatever. The weeks where the ratings were kind of trash, it's like, we had a lot of people in the, in the stands that week. Or, hey, the video uh, you know, video view impressions were up across. Yeah. I think that they're only championing the weeks. If, if, I think if the ratings had consistently impressed for them, I think they would have championed that a little bit more. But obviously they were happy certain weeks enough to kind of pioneer that. Sure. And, and you can definitely read into that from, from the press release for, for sure. Um, but, yeah, it, it just all depends on – I know Danny Garcia in one interview said they had a very – complicated uh, metric that they use to determine the success. And I think that wasn't just talking about ratings, but it was talking about attendance and things like that. So uh, again, without that piece, because, you know, you're talking about were the ratings good? Were they successful? Well, to who, right? In what context? And the only context that matters is the XFL and ESPN, because they're the ones who are the only ones shelling out money for this. And, and that money is going to either continue to fund the league or not. And so it's really up to them to decide if it was worth it. It's interesting that we've talked about it, you know, with Bill Shea last week, and he had his article as well um, with The Athletic. I think you know, it's always going to be harder for XFL because you're, you're asking ESPN, Hey, you know, put us in here, do that. You know, Fox is where they own this they are incentivized a hundred percent. Same mm -hmm. with, you know, we're selling the playoff ads and Hey, you want to buy Super Bowl ads or you want to buy NFL on Fox ads? Like you got to buy ESPN's never, never going to be as incentivized. And I don't know long-term 
if that's going to pay 10 times dividends for the USFL or not. But I do think that if Fox wanted to, that, you know, they can continue to obviously place this as long as they want, where you're always trying to like, you're begging daddy ESPN to kind of keep mm-hmm. us on or keep doing things. And hopefully that partnership is strong. It seems like it is. They seem to be on the same page, ESPN and ownership. And as long as they're on the same page, to me, that's the most important thing. Um, and, and you know, one of the points I made in the article was, yeah, it would be great to have the XFL on ABC more often next year. But it's all about the time slots. You know, ESPN is not going to bump an NBA game off of ABC on a Saturday uh you know, when they're, they're paying how many hundreds of millions for the rights to air NBA games to throw an XFL game on there. I mean, that's just not reality. So there really is a limited schedule window to where the XFL can realistically play so many games on ABC or even ESPN for that matter. I mean, ESPN has uh, a tremendous amount of, of sports properties during the season that they air on, on ESPN. So it, it's always going to be that struggle. Like you said, it would be a lot easier if ESPN owned the XFL, they'd be incentivized to give it more prime games and more prime time slots. Uh, but the XFL, at least until it shows that it is sustainable and can, can make a significant amount of money, it's always going to be playing second fiddle to these more, um, upscale properties like the NBA, like at the NHL, like uh, the NCAA women's basketball tournament as well that, that airs on ESPN and ABC. Well, and like you said, with the USFL discussion, I think in this season two of the USFL showing like just putting more games on network does not necessarily, it's not going to double your viewership that you have to. And I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't want to be the super negative USFL. Like, I don't know what's going on this year with that, where if that is, you know, really hitting what they want or not. But I mean, it is, it is primed in positions to really dominate. And obviously they're winning in the slots, but it's like, it, uh, you know, what, how, how much of a margin are you expecting in these USFL on network games versus, you know, XFL on FS or on a, you know, FX or whatever. Like, I don't know what the margin they're expecting. I would imagine it's bigger than it is, but you know, who am I? Right. And maybe the USFL and I talked about earlier, like there's not a lot more they can do from an advertising perspective on their own networks to push that rating forward. Like they're, they're doing all they can. So when they look at that, you know, they've got to be saying, okay, where are we going to make up that difference? Then where are we going to get that rise from? And it could be season three going into all markets. Um, that that's kind of the ACE they have up their sleeve right now that they're still playing in four hubs. If they wanted to take the extra expense of going into all markets and, you know, putting a legitimate amount of fans in the stands, you know, that could help locally drive ratings. And so that's really where I think they could more so than just throwing more advertising out there or just having more talking heads on FS1 talk about the USFL. I think if they look at their ratings and say, there's more meat on that bone, I think where they get that meat from is, you know, going out into all eight markets. Now, Question is, do they? Is it worth the added expense that's going to come with that, right? Because that's what they have to weigh. Is it worth an extra three hundred and fifty thousand or two hundred thousand viewers on network TV? Is the added expense of running in all eight markets worth that extra number of viewership? I don't know. 
Well, and they're, I mean, they're in not County Canton. I mean, they're in Birmingham, Memphis, and Detroit. And I would not say either of those three markets has tremendously impressed to the point of like, oh yeah, this is definitely, it was like, I don't, I don't know if you categorically look at the Memphis hub right now and go, yeah, that's worth that. I don't know what they're paying for that. And I don't, I, you know, obviously the forward field, but you know, it, it's the, I, I don't I don't want to be too negative on here, but I don't know if it then is magically doubling this from four to eight. If 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 I, I haven't seen it from going from one to four, I don't know if I'm gonna yeah, see it. That's a, that's a good fair point too. Uh well, Greg, it's late for you. I appreciate it. Anything else from you? I, I just really appreciate you, like I said, coming in and, and doing this here late on the East Coast for you. No, I have a pleasure to be on here talking about it. Um you know, just to plug my stuff on XFL board. I know it's the off season, uh, but I, I've got a lot of content coming. I just uh, today, Thursday, as we're recording this, I posted my final uh, season summary. I went through all eight teams, did a season summary on XFL board of them, uh, took a look at some of the team MVPs, took a look at some places that they can improve um, roster wise next year, took a look at the head coaches and, and gave a one to five about uh, the potential hot seat rating for each head coach and each team. So um, in the coming weeks, I'm going to look back at November's draft and I'm going to analyze uh, how well the teams did by uh, draft phase. So I've, I've got a couple of those in the can already. They'll start coming out probably next week. And then, of course, we've got the rookie draft. I On Twitter, at Greg M. Parks, you can follow me. I sort of admitted to the fact that I'm probably going to end up doing a one-round one mock draft uh, of, the, of the rookie draft. For as, you know, I've done, Reed, I've done a seven-round NFL mock draft for 20-some years. Um, and so like, I love mock drafts as pointless as they are. I get it. I, I understand. I can hear people rolling their eyes watching this, but, um, I love the NFL draft. Like it's, it's my Christmas and I've done this seven round mock draft probably since I was a sophomore in high school. And so the opportunity to do a real legitimate mock draft, even if it's just one round for the XFL, I think is just, it's too good to pass up. So that will probably come out uh, closer. We get to, um, to the uh, rookie draft on June 16th. So I'm really excited about the possibility of that. And we'll just have so much more content in the off season at XFL board. So uh, check it out. You're really carrying the torch over there, doing a good job. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, and the, the, obviously, if you're a wrestling fan, all the PW Torch stuff. And I wish I had more time to watch wrestling so I could listen to you guys more. B but. A big weekend coming up, man. We've got four major shows this weekend. We've got Impact's uh, Under Siege event on Friday. We've got WWE's Night of Champions on Saturday. We've got NXT's show going head-to-head -head with AEW's pay-per-view on Sunday night. I mean, it's going to be like my eyes are going to have to be taped open to watch all of this wrestling. This weekend. I've said a couple of times in other interviews on this show, I think that the XFL needs to figure out like the, the Tomasa Ciampa, Johnny Gargano, NXT, that to me, that was the peak that NXT ever was. And if the mm -hmm. XFL can figure out how can we, you know, make a show that people want to tune in every week. You know, we feature, these are our stars. And then obviously you have the people that want to move up. That is what they need to do is, uh, you know, that the, you know, pre whatever they've done now and i don't watch mm -hmm. nxc 2.0 but you know all the triple h and all of that that was the peak like we got our 10 stars here and then you can watch everyone else kind of go up to the big show it's an interesting comparison you give me a lot to think about reed <laughs> good all right that's good uh well greg it's late i appreciate it my, my travel agent's calling about my hamilton flight i mean, keep i keep silencing it over here so we'll uh, we'll talk to you next time and i appreciate you really doing the lord's work all right thanks reed
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, don't adjust your dials here. We uh, have special guests. Uh, really appreciate it. We have John Hodge here with 3 Down Nation. John, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Reed. Thanks for having me. Uh, you have uh, is that the Padres hat on? I think you're trying to appeal to Andrew Murray here. I think he'll be a, I think he'll be a fan of you as well here even more after this. I was uh, fortunate enough to go to a Padres game in San Diego uh, a couple months ago. I would be hard pressed to name a single player on their team, but I got this hat for free and I had fun at the game, so I'm happy to rep them um, and uh, hide my uh, ever graying hair. Well, at least you have hair. I don't have any more hair. I just grow it on my face. So I, I'm good. I'm going to be there one day soon. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll it, it's, it's going gray and then, and then it'll run out altogether. That's good. Well, good. Uh, we have good energy today. I saw Hodge back up in, uh, you know, Regina and now we're trying to, you know, I, I've turned over a new leaf here. We're trying to work and, and embrace all this stuff. So I wanted to get John on. We want to talk uh, CFL health and the preseason and everything else. Uh, more normal offseason, obviously in our limited time covering the league, we had all the XFL stuff and then we had the CBA stuff last year. This year seems a little more normal. What are your thoughts going into the season? Well, it's an interesting time for the CFL. I think that with the competition from the XFL, the USFL, I've talked to a number of personnel people in the league who have who have talked about how hard it is to recruit talent. Um, at the combine, I talked to a number of individuals in scouting who do contracts, that kind of thing, and they were talking about you know years ago we were cutting guys who were seventh round NFL draft picks, or we were cutting guys who you know were first team all ACC, or we were we were cutting players who you know these days we'd be really excited to sign. So I think that that works to the disadvantage of certain teams. And the teams I'm talking about are teams like Edmonton, teams like Ottawa that are trying to rebuild after a couple of really down years. And I think it actually works to the benefit for the team that I primarily cover, which is the Winnipeg Blue Bombers that have such a veteran core that, you know, maybe 10 years ago, you'd want to break up that core earlier because other teams were going to stockpile talent and develop that talent. Whereas these days, other teams are having a harder time developing that talent. So you're happy to be an older team of the CFL and maybe stick together a little bit longer. So to me, I still think that Winnipeg is the team to beat. 
I like the retooling that the teams at the bottom of the league have done. I think Saskatchewan is better. I think Edmonton is better. I think Ottawa is a lot better. Um, and I think that uh, I think that Montreal, despite their offseason ownership crisis, I think is is I don't think on the field they're in a better spot than last year. But I don't think they've taken a huge step back. And off the field, they're in a million times better position, I think, than they were a year ago. So all in all, I'm excited for the season. I think it's going to be a good season, entertaining season of football. I think the lack of parity hurt the league a little bit last year, right? Tuning into Edmonton, Winnipeg, or tuning into, you know, Calgary, Ottawa. I don't think a lot of people were going into those games with, you know, holding their breath as to who is going to win. And this year, I think there's going to be more of that. I don't think we're going to see four win teams or 15 win teams. I think the bottom team might have six wins and the top team might have 12 or 13. And that's, that's a good thing. I think for, for fans of this league and for the league itself. Well, if this feels like there's not, it just, it seems like there's been a dark cloud kind of the last couple seasons with whatever else. It does feel like the football can kind of shine here. You know, you've got the new CFL plus and we'll talk about that, but it just seems like there's a lot of momentum. If that makes sense. I know there's been a lot of off season movements, at least to me, it feels like a lot, you know I mean? The quarterback carousel and all of that, but I'm excited to see here as we get through preseason, kind of the identity of these new teams. Well, one very positive thing I think that's happened is with the new CBA, players being able to get guaranteed money on their contracts after they have been with a team for two years. You're seeing a lot of guys not signing these one-year deals like you did for the decade previous. You're seeing guys like Trevor Harris go to Saskatchewan on a two-year deal. You're seeing guys like Bolivar Mitchell sign a three-year deal in Hamilton. Zach Kolaris famously said ahead of last season, it's not in the best interest of any CFL player to sign a multi-year deal because teams don't actually have to commit to you. Well, guess what? Now that the CFL CBA has changed, he signed a three-year deal with Winnipeg. He signed through 2025, and that makes fans so much more comfortable not only investing in these players emotionally, but even financially, right? You're going to see more Harris jerseys in Saskatchewan, more Kolaris jerseys in Winnipeg because fans are able to identify with these players and feel safer investing in these players Knowing that, okay, I'm not gonna, you know, pick this guy as my new favorite player in August, and then by the next year he's off playing for another team or a team that that I don't like. So I think that that's a positive thing, and these are all changes that the CFL probably should have made five or ten years ago, um, or seen coming and anticipated becoming issues one day. They haven't. They dug themselves a little bit of a hole, and now they're digging themselves out. You'd obviously rather, you know, you don't dig the hole. But, you know, I'll give them credit for 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 at least digging themselves out, even if they dug themselves out in the first place. And um, it's a positive change. Pro sports is star driven in, in many respects. I think the CFL is a little bit less star driven than most leagues because these are such old iconic franchises like the Toronto Argonauts are the oldest pro team in North America. Um, but the, the stars still matter. Obviously what Chad Kelly does in Toronto, for instance, matters. He has a star quality for obviously from his lineage, from, you know, being nearby in Buffalo, having a very notorious college career for better or worse across a few different institutions. So, you know, the more that you can cater to your stars and the more that you can do to elevate the stars and make fans feel comfortable investing in those stars, the better. Well, that's the, you know, and obviously we cover all the different stuff on here, but I, I do like when the page turns here, we go to the CFL season. You know, you would be amazed with the diehard that we have for, you know, it's two seasons of XFL or, you know, we had this and, you know, the US, I'm like, that, you know, go to the CFL, that's times 100. You know, you just have so much more history and the tradition of all these teams. Uh, speaking of jerseys and the Argonauts, do you, are, are we fans of the new, uh, what is it, the baby blue, crimson blue? What is the new, uh, what, do you like the new jersey? 
They call it Cambridge blue. Cambridge, Cambridge is the light. It, yeah. And Oxford is like the dark. I, I honestly just call it Navy and baby blue. Cause then everybody knows what you're talking about. I think they're fine. I, I think it's an upgrade over the last ones. I thought the last ones, I'm not a big fan of, and maybe this is just the, the media guy in me, but I'm not a big fan of jerseys that are hard to read. And I found that the, the light blue number on the dark blue Jersey was just a little bit tough to read previous to that. The Argos had always had dark home jerseys, with white numbers and those are very easy to read so i didn't like the new jerseys that they had last season for that reason the brand new ones they have for 2023 are extremely easy to read so i'm a big fan of that uh, i think the helmet detail is lacking a little bit like it's very monochromatic it's very just you know baby blue on baby blue on baby blue i think maybe a little more navy detail in there would have been better and i'm not a huge fan of the oars like they have on the shoulders like like the alouettes if you google um, like Alouette's alternate jerseys uh, about 10 years ago, they had these gray jerseys and they had feathers on the shoulders that were, it's kind of cool as like a, you know, modern take on, on what an Alouette's are obviously birds. Um, but the Argos oars look just like that. And so all I could think about when I was looking at those jerseys was like, Oh, this looks like a riff on the, the old Alouette's alternate uniforms that they haven't worn in probably 10 years. But, uh, but ultimately I do like them. I do think that's an upgrade. And I will also say this, it's not that long ago that the CFL's East division, this is before Ottawa came back in the league in 2014, the East division used to have four teams and four of them more Navy blue. It was Toronto, Winnipeg and Montreal, which is just silly. It's just silly. Um, so the, the, the bombers have since gone back to their roots, which was Royal blue, not Navy blue. The Alouettes have kind of doubled down on it, but I, so I like the fact that the Argos are moved away from it a little bit. There's no team in Canada that wears that color, be it in the CFL or, or NHL even. Um, so I think embracing that light shade of blue is, is a good move for that franchise. It's a little, uh, I, I tweeted, it's a little XFL renegade. So the renegades have a little, a little bit. bit yeah. No, it's good. It's good. Uh, you talked about off the top that, uh, you know, it, having to retain players, XFL, USFL, uh, you know, moving forward, do you see, and I think would be the dream of a lot of, you know, Canadian football proponents having to, you know, develop more Canadian talent, sign more Canadian talent that way. What, you know, if this, you know, we don't know. It could be tomorrow. This all goes away. But if the XFL and the USFL continue here a little bit, what do you see the path for the CFL to kind of keep cultivating talent? Well, I think that's a great point. And it's something that I have talked to people about in this league is Canadians getting opportunities at positions that normally they wouldn't get. I mean, traditionally, like if you go back to the old, old days of the CFL, I'm talking like the 70s and the 80s, teams generally played five Canadian offensive linemen. They had to start 10 during that era so they would cash in their first five just on the o-line and then they would often stick you know one or two slot backs you know a nose tackle a safety and then maybe like a a, a mike linebacker and since then the number's gone down to seven i think it went down to seven in the mid 90s but don't quote me on that um teams have generally played american tackles with 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 canadian interiors and now what you're seeing is so many tackles with expanded practice rosters in the NFL um, with, as you mentioned, the XFL, the USFL, I think more teams are looking to play Canadian tackles. We saw Dante Bull go at the first overall pick in this year's CFL draft at a Fresno state. He's a guy who started 33 games with the Bulldogs primarily at left tackle. Um, you know, is he the first overall pick? 
you know, five years ago, maybe, but but maybe not, because I don't think he's a guy who necessarily slots in great to guard. He is a kind of true tackle. He's got long arms. He's got kind of a thin lower body, a bigger upper body. And so I think that's a change that we're seeing. I think the Edmonton Elks are also going to start a Canadian at tackle this year. It's looking like Josiah St. John out of Oklahoma was the first overall pick in 2016 when Chris Jones was with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. He's probably going to start at right tackle. So that's a change that we're seeing. And honestly, I think it's for the better to, to a large extent. Trey Ford, for example, is a first-round pick as a quarterback, first one in 40 years. Um, Nathan Rourke obviously became a star last season, was, in my opinion, the best player in the league, though obviously he got banged up with the injury. So, you know, this is a situation where, be it strong side linebacker, quarterback, uh, offensive tackle, you're seeing more guys get opportunities. And I'll also say this, if you've only been a fan of the CFL for the last 10 years, you probably don't think anything of Canadians playing running back. But that is something that did not happen for a very long time. Like Sean Millington out of Simon Fraser, I think he was a first-round pick in maybe 1990 was kind of the first guy in a generation to be a true running back in the CFL. And the next generation was this fabulous influx of talent guys like Jerome Messam, uh, guys like John Cornish, Andrew Harris, who's still obviously playing though, albeit on the very tail end of his career guys who all of a sudden it, it wasn't just like, Oh, he's a Canadian who can get in for some snaps. It was like, this is a guy who can be a thousand yard receiver, a thousand yard rusher, 500 yard receiver and be an MOP. Right, we saw Andrew Harris uh, in 2019. Were it not for the drug testing that happened, he probably would have been the MOP. John Cornish did win an MOP. Joe Messam, I think, won two Most Outstanding Canadian awards. So these days, with guys like Brady Oliveira starting a Canadian uh, or being a Canadian running back that's starting, it doesn't look odd by today's standards. But if this was, you know, 15 years ago, it'd look a little weird. 30 years ago, it would look crazy. So. We've already seen that transition happen at some positions, and it's nice to see it happening in other spots as well. Uh, last question with the XFL and USFL. You know, I, I don't know how much of it kind of resonated if you guys tracked it at all this year. You know, and if if you did, you can speak on that. But you know, the XFL completing its season, USFL here going into season two, has that changed your guys' thought process about like, oh, we need to worry about this? We said, like, what what is your current welfare check with John Hodge on the XFL and USFL? I, I, to be perfectly honest, I really don't follow the XFL or USFL. Um, that being said, I think the temperature north of the border, talking to people in the league, is there's a hope that if either league stays around, um, it won't be for much longer. And I, I'm not saying that as a malicious, you know, wish of fans. This is not a representation of how fans are feeling or how the public is feeling, but for obvious reasons with the competition personnel people in the CFL are hoping that these American leagues die. And that is simply a professional um, desire for them to have an easier access to this talent because it used to be, and and most guys who are working in CFL personnel departments have, have generally worked in a professional environment where you call up players and it's like, okay, you're not on an NFL roster. You're not on a, on a practice roster. Even if you want to play, you got to come up to Canada. And by the way, you're going to be making 50,000 American dollars uh, and that's if you play every single game. You're going to make less if you're on our PR. Um, and, and it's not a terribly uh, attractive offer to a lot of guys, especially because Americans, and I think everyone's wired this way to some extent, they're hesitant to leave their home country, right? They don't know a lot about Canada. They don't really understand what the league is. 
And it's not until they get here that they kind of go like, oh, okay, I, th- this league or, or the story we always hear from, from American players modern times is I didn't know anything about the CFL. So I looked it up on YouTube. Right. And they they go and they watch a bunch of clips and they kind of go, like, OK, I understand kind of who these teams are, kind of what these schemes are. You know, the field is really big. There's all this motion. Um, so, you know, just given that they can stay local and they can make, you know, about the same amount of money playing less games. I don't blame young players for deciding, yeah, I'll, I'll play XFL or I'll play USFL as my route to try to get back to the NFL rather than coming up to Canada. So I can't speak for my, my own personal feelings or for the public in general, but what I can say is from a CFL standpoint, the hope is that these, these leagues, if, if one of them sticks around or there's a merger of some kind, even that would be a lot better than, than having 16 independent teams operated because it does chew up a lot of that talent that would have otherwise come up to the CFL. And I think the position that's hurting most, honestly, is the quarterback spot, where obviously every league, even the NFL, needs stars and a high level of play to have the best level of entertainment value associated with the product. Um, I want to get your take on, you know, I and obviously we came into the CFL and it was very like, tumultuous you know a lot of tension there right with the xfl and all that but talking with our listeners you know other people that cover and and we have you know with like cfl news hub and guys that cover these things and not to me the cfl is a wonderful world like once you're in it right now we're getting ready for cfl coverage i can call people i can get you you know try to get you reporters and fans and go to the games and all that but when you're when you're outside the world as a fan or you know with me it's a little harder to break into if that makes sense and and i feel like there's a level of uh the the word i use is like gatekeeping if that makes sense Mm -hmm. like if you don't know or you don't know the last 50 years of you know the ottawa's you know all this stuff you know it makes it hard to be a fan right like i hear i am even a new nfl fan right i didn't it was the xfl that got me into the nfl back in the 2020 like i i covered the seahawks here in seattle but i didn't watch a lot of other stuff and i'm just curious your thoughts on that because like now that i'm in it i love the cfl love everything it's great but getting to that point and i don't know if the cfl makes itself too hard to get into you know from a fan and even from players well you got to come up here you got to work your ass off for three years and then maybe we'll give you a shot i i would say that that I think gatekeeping is is probably a fair way to say it. There is a lot to learn about the CFL, um, and I think the the reason people feel that way that that kind of sense of protectionism is because it is something that is distinctly Canadian. And I think as and I'm I'm born and raised Canadian. I, I live in Winnipeg. Was born here. Um, I do think that there is sometimes an inferiority complex for Canadians just in general. Right. And, and speaking as a Canadian who works in the media, we are bombarded. Like, like a lot of Canadians will talk American politics or engage. And I have family in the United States, by the way, I got family in Boston. I got family in St. Louis. I got family in a number of U S cities and we're in tune with your politics and things that are happening in the United States. We talk about, you know, all kinds of, of political things, whether it's the, the abortion debate, the gun debate, things like that. Um, because we are inundated with your media and we know that the same is not true in reverse. And that's appropriate in many respects. Obviously Canada has, I mean, Canada is the population of California. So, you know, it's not reasonable for us to think that Americans are ever going to be anywhere close to as in tune as what's going on in Canada as we would be there. And that being said, that, that, 
can be a good thing. It can also be a bad thing. Like like a lot of Canadian, you know, radio stations, for instance, or or network television have regulations in place that a certain amount of content has to be Canadian. And the reason for that is they're aware, the government is aware that if people are given carte blanche to play whatever music they want or, or whatever television shows or anything like that, that it's inevitable that American media is going to win because there's just so much more resources down there in terms of eyeballs, in terms of money, in terms of all those things. And your currency is also stronger. The Canadian dollar is, is worth about 20%, 25%, depending on the day, less than the American dollar. So I think that all of those things culminate in, a, in an environment where, where Canadian football fans and CFL fans, and for the record, I am an NFL fan. I've always followed the NFL, not as closely as the CFL, but I've always followed both. Even since I, like, I, I grew up as a little kid playing Madden, so like, the NFL has always been part of my life. Um, but there is, I think, that sense of protection or, or fear where it's like, well, people are, people are going to judge the CFL before they get a chance to get to know it. Or people are going to, you know, they're, they're, they're going to, they're not, they're not going to give the CFL a, a proper chance. So why would we give them a chance to, to, to fall in love with the CFL or learn about the CFL or know about the CFL? Because I, th- I do think the general feeling in Canada is that three down football has better rules than four down football. I will personally say that I, I am a proponent of that thought. I do find the three down game more interesting than the four down game. Um, so I, I think that when you talk about CFL fans being a little bit, you know, uh, or engaging in some gatekeeper ism, if you will, I think it ties into a larger conversation about what does it mean to be Canadian? And also what does it mean to be Canadian in an environment in modern times with, you know, not just traditional media, but also new media and digital media and social media uh, just being inundated 24-7 by the American news cycle and American culture and American content, which, again, in and of itself is not bad, but is also at times, you know, at least can be perceived as a threat to what Canadians, you know, perceive to be theirs or, or perceive to be unique about Canada, because Canada is a different place that's culturally similar in many ways. In many ways, it's it's very dissimilar. So I think that it all ties into that big mosaic of what is Canada? What is the U.S.? And and how do Canadians uh, feel on any given day about what that relationship is like? That dynamic is like. Well, no, it is, and it's. Uh, I get it, and I, I I understand it all. Kind of having lived through it now, but it is, you know, it is alarming when when you try to get into it, right? And now, you know, having kind of lived through it and talked to people, and I think going to the to the Grey Cup, the first Hamilton one we went to, like, you get it when you when you get all these people in the room and you're talking with them. But it's online; it's always worse. I mean, and obviously we <laughs> we've lived through that and everything else, but. Um, Thoughts on the kind of the health of the CFL here. I know we, I watched obviously the preseason game and I want to get to ultimately the goal of here of the CFL plus discussion, Uh, you know, 17,000 in Calgary, which looked to me, you know, having tracked XFL attendance all year is phenomenal for me for a, you know, preseason game. But, uh, you know, we, I had heard reports, you know, uh, Calgary, they're not going to sell the upper bowl. I just saw Piffle's pod had an article that like mosaics trying to lower concession prices. Like what is your health here going into the CFL this season? Obviously Amar Doman, you know, making big strides over at BC. How are you kind of feeling welfare check? I think the CFL is in the best place it's been in, in a long time. Um, that being said, there's a lot of work to do. And the reason I say that at the end of the day, I think the CFL is in a good spot is largely due to ownership. I mean, Pierre Carl Pelado is the first local owner that the Montreal Alouettes have had in decades, and he's a billionaire. Like you can't you can't really argue 
with that. And also if, if his level of engagement was in question, I mean, he was at their first day of training camp, which I thought is really cool. Like training camp is boring just by definition. Like it's, it's generally not interesting in, in a three week training camp, there might be four interesting things that happen, be it an injury or, or, or whatever, right. Or, or a big, a, a player arrives later. There's a suspension, right. Like, or a fight, like, like training camp is boring by definition. And Pierre Carl Pelado took the time to be there as a billionaire, which I think is super cool. And, and for the record, training camp is in Trois-Rivières, Quebec, outside of Montreal. So he had to make extra trip to get to Quebec or to, to, to get to that training camp. It wasn't just as easy as walking down the street, which was really cool. Um, and Amar Doman, you mentioned him. He's doing incredible things in Vancouver. Um, the community-owned teams in, in Regina and Winnipeg are doing very well. Edmonton uh, is struggling. But I think that Victor Kui, their president and CEO, who's done incredible things in MMA and through his own career, I think is the perfect guy to lead them to that that new generation of of success. Um, things have gotten bad in Calgary to some extent. Um, we just had Ryan Ballantyne, our own contributor, who I believe has been on your show before. Reed, it'll be um, on. He'll be had, on this episode oh, okay. here. I gotta, yeah. There you go. There you go. He's uh, like he had Jay McNeil on his show. He'd be the best person to talk about this. Jay McNeil is the vice president of business for the Stampeders. I believe he is next in line to be their president. John Huffnagel is the team's president. Huff is into his seventies. I don't imagine he wants to be the president much longer. At some point, you just have to enjoy your life and go fishing. So, I, I think that the leadership is in is generally speaking across the CFL in position for this league to be successful. The issue is they were really weakened by the COVID pandemic and they're, they're just behind on a lot of digital trends. Um, and that's getting into the CFL plus thing that I know we'll talk about, but um, you know, they're, they're the, I, th- I think coming out of the pandemic was just about survival. And this next chapter is about thriving. And I know that, you know, the league keeps talking about expansion. I don't personally believe that expansion is any closer to happening now than it was 20 years ago, which is a big problem because at some point people are just going to get tired of talking about expansion because we talk about it and it never happens. With that said, I will also say for people who haven't followed the CFL for more than about a decade, like Ottawa folded as the Rough Riders in 1996. They'd been around over a century. They came back as the Renegades in 2002 and then folded after the 05 season due to bad ownership. And so after they folded a second time, there was a period of almost 10 years where everybody said, well, we all know that the CFL will never work in Ottawa because it's failed twice now in, in the span of 10 years. And now the Red Blacks are arguably the in the in the best position of any privately owned CFL team. Like they, they have a young crowd generally at TD Place. And even though the team has been objectively terrible, for the last couple seasons, their ticket numbers are still pretty darn good. And again, their demographics, I've been led to believe, are some of the best in the CFL in terms of getting women out to games, in terms of getting younger people out to games. So, you know, I this league has a ton of work to do over the next five years. Um, and I think they've wasted, frankly, some time and resources on some initiatives that have just been a waste of time. But I think that the initiatives they're starting to prioritize and the groundwork they're starting to lay if they are able to make the right decisions and have the right leadership and execute things the right way to make some very positive steps in the next five years. Uh, yeah. So speaking of the the TV deal, right, obviously we're primarily American listeners here. Very excited going into the, you know, the season. We were there last year, Ambrosi. Okay. We're doing genius sports, all that big, you know, big excitement, whatever. This year we have the American TV deal. It's coming, right? It's coming. It's coming. I think I had Randy on during the CFL media day. Okay. It's still coming. And then we get to, and it, 
you know, it feels a little bit like a wet fart, right? Okay, we're kind of on CBS <laughs> Sports, right? We're kind of on, you know, we're kind of on the C- CFL. I, I heard Donk on Rod's show this week talking, you know, uh, like people complaining. Like, I don't know who can complain about anything free. I mean, the CFL, like, it works great. I watched the whole thing. But what do you make of this, like, splinter that we, we, we've got a, uh, more money than we got before from CBS, but now we're giving away kind of half of our games for free? Well, I, I think this is kind of a necessary evil. Like, this is something that the CFL has tried to do for a long time, which is monetize its rights south of the border. We all know that Americans love to watch football. Um, traditionally, that's been NFL on college. I know that XFL and USFL ratings, um, and you, you're obviously much more familiar with those numbers than I have. I know there's been a lot of fluctuation. I see things on my Twitter timeline where one week there's a game that pops off and people seem really happy. And the next week there's a game that does really poorly and people start wringing their hands. So that that's the extent of what I know about the ratings for those, those other leagues. But obviously, right, we are a country in Canada of, again, about 40 million people, a little bit less. If you can turn even, you know, 2% of NFL fans into hardcore CFL fans, this league could double its television revenue. And that would be incredible. The rights in Canada are worth about $50 million a year. Um, I've been led to believe that the old TV deal with ESPN paid in the neighborhood of, you know, one to 200 grand, which is, you know, next to nothing. We're talking like less than 1% of what the Canadian D-roll was. Reportedly, this new deal with CBS is is $1 million, which, you know, is 2% of what the, the, the Canadian rights are. So they're moving in the right direction, but this is not a revolutionary source of income for the CFL now through CBS. And I think what this new deal with the free streaming services for the CFL is all about data collection. Um, this is something that's going to allow the CFL to know who exactly is tuning into our games, where exactly are they tuning into the games? Because the CFL right now, you know, they sell the data, they sell the, the, at least in past years, have sold the TV rights and ESPN just syndicates everything, which is cool. But now you're getting more money from CBS. You're maybe losing some exposure, but what you are doing is you're checking on, okay, how has the exposure previously on ESPN translated to people wanting to watch us? Because the CFL doing this themselves means they're exclusively going to have the data of who is tuning in. Are these men? Are these women? What? How old are they? Do we have an older crowd in the US or a younger crowd? Where are people tuning in? Do we have a surprise bastion of CFL fans in Florida versus Oklahoma? Or or is our is our bread and butter Texas um, versus California? Like where where are people tuning in? Why are they tuning in? And also, which teams are they tuning into? Do we find that Bo Levi Mitchell's ratings from his you know tenure being a star quarterback in high school in Texas, is, is he a real push for American fans? Like, are, are fans going out of their way to tune in when Bo Levi Mitchell is playing? Or are they going out of their way to watch Zach Kalaris, who, albeit 10 years ago, was a big star at Cincinnati with the Bearcats? Like, this is something that I think the CFL is going to use this season to collect that data. And the more data in the, that they have the better they're going to be able to sell things down the line to potentially other television partners where they can go, okay, we gave away our service for free for X number of years. These are the million data points that we've got or millions of data points that we've got. And we want to give this to you to now monetize it to the best of your, of your ability and also uh, specifically target your ads to these people. And something else I'll mention, this is probably getting ahead of the game a little bit, 
But long term, right, we've seen the NFL start to dip their toe into online streaming and not selling their rights to traditional media in the form of television, but instead doing with online partners. You know, this would be a game changer for the CFL if Apple right, came along and said, yeah, we, we want to exclusively broadcast your games to the world. Um, so outside of Canada, we're going to give you X amount of money and the CFL is just going to live on Apple TV. Like that, that is also a game changer potentially if, if a non-traditional media company, if Amazon wanted to come and say, yeah, we're going to make Prime the home of international CFL. Um, that market I don't think is huge right now, but by giving it away for free, I think the CFL is hoping to grow it and have the data to try to enhance that and make it, make it better as time goes on. Have you, did we get a sense, and I know we've just had the one so far and it was the great CFL preseason thunderstorm and there was a lot of different things that went into <laughs> it, but um, any sense, I emailed Lucas, like any sense as to how many people logged into that? Because I know, and obviously I have a just my small sample Twitter, you know, but I, I tweeted out, hey, watch the thing. I mean, I probably had 20 people. Hey, yeah, well, you know, I, I signed up too. You know, I got on the thing. I, you know, this is like, you know, obviously a fraction, but, you know, if I could get 20, 25 people here, like, do you have any sense of how many people logged on or, or are they going to release those numbers at some point? I don't. And I would be very surprised if they announced anything. But with that being said, at least judging by a like an informal, you know, social media sense of things, I, I was also, uh, I think, you know, at least pleasantly surprised by how many people seem to be watching. I know obviously people are hungry for CFL action. We haven't had any in six months. And it also ha helps that the game happened on the long weekend, right? Canadians had the Monday off. We call it Victoria Day. What do you guys call it in the States? We don't. Well, we have Memorial Day next weekend. This is I work. Oh, Monday. okay. Yeah. I, okay. <laughs> yeah. So Americans were working, but Canadians were off yeah, yeah. this past this past Monday. So we we it, it's Victoria. We we just call it May Long generally. Um, but uh, anyways, that that obviously helps that people are generally not doing anything. I also think putting things on a Monday afternoon of the long weekend is really smart because a lot of people are going to use the long weekend to travel or go to the cottage, and they're they're back home. By, by later in the day on Monday. So that's, I think, the, from a scheduling standpoint, was very helpful. Um, I will also ask the league, once this is all said and done, how they, how they felt the streaming went and how the preseason live thing worked in Canada. But my guess is they're going to keep any numbers and data points they have very close to the chest because, like any smart business should, my, my speculation is that they're going to try to sell this to somebody or at least use this information to turn into money at some point down the road. Yeah, because my fear with this, and like I said, I don't, you know, you never want to complain with free stuff. And, you know, the production was fine. You know, Mark did a great job. You know, Mark's calling the game, and I can't remember his co host, but, you know, Mark's on there and he's a friend of the show, Mark Stevens. And, um, but, you know, like we got money from CBS Sports. You know, no one else wanted to pay for the other part of that. Now we're doing like, does CBS the next year, or do they sit there and go, well, we're not going to pay as much now because there clearly wasn't, you know what I mean? There wasn't another. I'm just curious here years after now, giving this like, does CBS realize there's not a buyer's market for the CFL? And I don't know why there's not. Cause we, like I said, people clamor for football all the time. I don't know why there's not that appetite here in the States. Well, and I mean, the, the thing that I keep hearing, and I mean, even, um, you know, th this is something with, uh, you know, I, I I've heard like Pat McAfee talk about is like, Oh yeah, like you know, back in training camp with the Colts, like we would always watch CFL games, and and people generally, once they're exposed to the CFL, fall in love with it, as as you have, for instance. Um, but yeah, it could be a hard game to get in front of people. I mean, and it's it's never been tougher to get eyeballs on a, on a particular product. There's just so much happening in a digital world all the time to get people 
to to tune in. I know one thing that the CFL really needs to change is currently they are extremely protective of their replays and highlights. Um, for instance, if you know, for instance, partway through this broadcast, read if you wanted to intercut it with a touchdown pass from you know Bolivar Mitchell to Kamar Jordan from last season. Um, you would probably get a letter from a lawyer the next week saying that that's a bad thing. And uh, I, I personally, in, in the modern day, think that that is completely backwards. We need to be putting this product that is exciting and is interesting and is entertaining in front of as many people as possible and maybe giving away a number of games for free to the people in the U.S., We'll prompt the CFL to make that decision and say, okay, maybe instead of policing who is sending out our highlights, maybe we should encourage them to post highlights because if somebody watches a highlight in 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 May of something that happened last year, they'll be more likely to buy a ticket to a game to a home opener next month because I think that's a huge problem. People right now often go six months without seeing a single highlight from the CFL. That's crazy, right? Like I'm on TikTok, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter. Every day, I swear, I see some type of NFL highlight. Lamar Jackson rolling out, making some crazy play, or or Justin Jefferson completely undressing a corner on some unbelievably nasty route that he's run. We need to get that same exposure for the CFL. So I, I think that giving it away for free, I mean, and and look, if CBS doesn't want this to, to be given away for free, they get to show all the games. They're, they're not doing that, right? They, they chose to show under half. There's 82, 81 regular season games. I think they're showing 37. So if this, if CBS didn't want this to happen, uh, theoretically, they could have ponied up more money and stopped it. And and the CFL is, has decided to fill the gap, which which I think is smart. I'll let you go here soon. I promise. I appreciate the extended time here. Um, because I, you know, in my position, just as, you know, trying to get views and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Like, yeah, I was trying to look at the other side, you know, and I saw, hey, Randy came out. Hey, we're champion this. It's free. We want access, you know, because I always think, well, that's the way you spin it when we'll know what no one wanted it, right? That we, well, now we're going to champion the other side. We're going to say, well, no, we want to give this away for free. We want people to have access to it. That That's how you spin that. Do you get what I mean? And, and I know that I've heard for years, you know, Randy's the biggest spinner in the world. Like, uh, do, do you, do you read that? And do you, are, do you agree, disagree? What are your thoughts on kind of how I, how I viewed it? Well, I think Randy Ambrosi's job is ultimately to be the CFL's biggest salesperson. Um, so obviously he's going to talk about it in, in glowing terms. Um, I, I've been highly critical of Randy Ambrosi for certain initiatives that he's undertaken during his tenure as the league's commissioner, um, which, I mean, he still feels like a new commissioner. I, I think he's been with the league now for something like seven years, which is wild. He's now one of the longest tenured commissioners in league history. That is, by the way, something the CFL is notorious for. In the NFL or most professional leagues, if you get the commissionership, it's like a lifetime gig. In the CFL, we kick you out after three years. It's generally a, sh- a pretty short-lived position for, for one reason or another. Uh, but that being said, I do think this is positive. Um, the CFL was stuck in this rut where for many, many years they would sell their rights to ESPN for pennies on the dollar and ESPN wouldn't promote the games. They would throw them on a random channel. Often they would make the decision extremely late, far too late, even for, you know, engaged people to say, Oh, okay, where am I going to watch the game? Is this on their streaming? Is this on two? Is this on four? Like, like it, it became very confusing for people who are watching the games. And now for the CFL to say, Hey, uh, over half of our games are here and they're free. That's a pretty idiot-proof way 
to get more people engaged. Yes, you have to go the extra step to signing up on CFL.ca, but that's not that's not a hard step to undertake if you are someone who cares about the CFL. And if you're someone who happens to just have CBS and that particular channel, literally every other game is there. And from my understanding, CBS will be making an effort to make it clear with bumpers and things like that when the games were actually on, because that is another piece of information I hear from U.S. fans all the time, which was, oh, I would have watched the game on Friday. I just didn't know when it was happening or where it was. Um, and I think we do live in an era now, like when I was a kid, you had the TV guide uh, handbook or, or you'd look at the newspaper for when things were on. That obviously doesn't exist anymore. People are not patient enough to go and seek out hours and days in advance. When is this happening? Like appointment viewing is kind of dead. You really have to spoon feed people and say, this is what we're showing and when and, and, and make that very easy for people to connect to. So um, I, I think it's fair if you want to criticize that it's being given away for free. I would be concerned if there was no TV deal and the CFL solution to the ESPN uh, deal no longer being a thing was just to say, okay, well, rather than selling it for pennies on the dollar, let's just give the whole thing away for free. That's not what happened. They partnered, albeit with what I understand, a more niche uh, uh, company in the market, but they got more money and they're getting more exposure and controlling their own data. So for that reason, I see it as positive. In a way, it's the best of both worlds. You're getting more money, and you're also collecting your own data by having people come directly to you. Um, and you, you, you can't beat the direct-to-consumer model and not going through that third party. So is this a perfect long-term solution? No. But I don't think that we or, or any endeavor um, should ever get caught up in not doing a deal because it's not perfect. Because good is a lot better than, than nothing. And, and the new deal is not perfect, but it's good. And I think that that is a stepping stone to potentially in the future getting a deal that's very good and then great. And, and maybe there's a fantastic deal to be had in 25 years. But this is a long-term process, and I think this is a positive step towards whatever that, that long-term goal for the CFL is, which I would imagine is to have an American broadcasting deal that is on par or even bigger than their Canadian broadcasting deal. Yeah, I mean, what like you said, Apple, right? I mean, what what you would do just to have it on? I do, and last thing for me on this, I I just you know, and I it it feels a little rushed here getting into this season, right? We got the radio broadcast, all that, and I know that they're going to obviously stream the TSN broadcast for like the regular games, you know, considering that the CBS Sports Network it's going to be like the app, whatever, and I got to figure out how to get on all that before you know before the season two. Like, if if we have like a CFL app you know, like on the, you know, Apple TV or whatever, because doing the laptop thing, jumping back, but like, I wish it was like that where I could be on Apple TV. I could go, you know, I got my CBS sports here. I got my whatever. Cause I'm like airplane the stuff off my laptop. I mean, it's not super uh, elegant right now, but I think it's kind of a stepping stone, but Hey, like it worked. I went on, it worked. It's free. I was able to watch it. It didn't cut out, you know, even through all the kind of stuff. So I think it could have gone a lot worse. And I think once obviously they just broadcast the TSN games, I think it'll look a lot more professional. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. And, and ultimately that's what everybody wants, right? We, we kind of want to, in a way, go back to cable where it's just, you turn on the TV and everything that's on is on. And the, the great thing about Netflix 10 years ago was you turn on Netflix and everything you want to watch is there. And what we've seen over the last 10 years in that kind of streaming ecosystem is the deterioration where all of a sudden it's like, I feel like if I want to watch everything, I need 12 streaming services and I don't know what's on what and I don't know what all my logins are because I pay for this one and I share that one with a friend and this one is my parents and this one's my neighbors that I secretly don't tell them that I use. And like, like it, it just becomes chaos and, and people get frustrated and then they tune out. So I agree with you in 20 years from now. And, and by the way, that might be the goal, long-term goal for the NFL in 20 years, you just turn on the NFL app 
and you watch all the games and the NFL is going to sell all their own advertisements and they're going to do it for hundreds of billions of dollars, some ungodly sum of money. And that might be the model the CFL wants to copy on, albeit a very much smaller scale. Um, that might be the route the NHL goes or, or whatever. They'll just pay their own people to cover the games and, and talk positively about the league and ignore all the, 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 the negative stories that independent media would cover. Um, may, maybe that's the model. Because as a consumer, that's certainly what I would want. I just want to be able to mindlessly turn on my television and know, okay, every single thing I want is right here. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to worry about it. I can just focus my energy and attention on, on my job or my personal life or whatever. I don't have to spend any time or energy worrying about what I'm watching on TV. Um, Cause that's, that's not where we want to spend our energy. So I get it. That's what I want too. Um, but we're in a very weird place. I think in, in media consumption in general, where 10 years ago we started digitizing it. And as the digital space has exploded, what that's done is it's, it's taken something that used to be very simple and made it very complicated. And, and I'd like to think that long-term the reverse will happen. It'll become more simple as streaming services amalgamate. Um, I know Hulu and Disney Plus are amalgamating in the United States. Um, you know, we, we, I think that that process will, will take place, and eventually there will only be a couple of streaming services left. But in the, in the intermediate, yeah, fans are going to have to do a lot of work if, if they want to watch stuff. And hopefully this new agreement for at least the CFL will, will help simplify that process a little bit. Yeah, someone that's had conversations with my mother last week about getting the NFL Sunday ticket now on YouTube or whatever. <laughs> I can I can definitely corroborate. It's that challenging. Uh, John, I appreciate it. anything else from you today before I let you go. Extended time, like I said, I appreciate you uh, hanging on here. No, no, nothing for me. I appreciate you having me, and uh, yeah, good luck with the show. Enjoy the CFL season. It's gonna be good. Uh, John Hodge over at Three. That appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. Thanks, boss. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, I'm excited today. I remember the day that we got involved in all this CFL Twitter and I saw, you know, Ryan Valentine here, you know, tweeting. I said, I know that gentleman. I watched him on Big Brother Canada. We've gone back and forth, finally getting you on the show. Uh, one of the stars of Big Brother Canada 6, but more importantly, kind of a Stampeders guy now for the, you know, uh, Three Down Nation. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm doing well, man. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, uh, it's funny. I joined Three Down Nation just before I went on the show. Um, I was in uh, my callback audition. Um, I was sequestered in a hotel room in Toronto when I got the call from uh, Duncan Drew Edwards at the time. Um, and they said, hey, you know, do you want to think about writing for us? And I was like, well, I got nothing else to do because I'm in sequester. So I banged off three or four pieces and and they liked them. And so I've been there ever since. Uh, so uh, they were fortunate. Uh, I was fortunate in that they 
they mobilized their audience to vote to save me at one point, which I appreciated. No, that's good. Yeah, I lived through the Big Brother Canada for a while, and then after COVID, I kind of fell off. I went through, and when that season kind of got cut, it was it's hard with the VPNs and all of that. But we're here today. Uh, the man survived the great CFL preseason thunderstorm here. We were watching the Elks. I, I watched that whole thing start to finish. It was riveting. I Mark Stevens or listen to him and Dave Campbell, everything else. We had our first preseason game. How do you feel about the CFL being back? Well, I mean, obviously, anytime you get CFL football, that's a good day. Uh, you know, I, I'm a I'm a big uh, fan of the of our game and and how it uh, and how it plays. And and for my money, I, I still think the CFL is the best rule set available of all uh, football leagues. So, um, you know, anytime we can get back to what I consider real football. Uh, that's uh, that's what I like to see. Oh, you talk real football, you're going to get the USFL fans at you because USFL apparently that's real football. That's what they say. Look I, again, um, you can have your four downs all you want. I appreciate that you need the extra time to get ten yards, but you know a, a three down game with a, a much larger field. It's just it's more entertaining for me to watch because uh, it's got more possibilities than uh, than any of the four down variations. That's good. You should, yeah. Fan control football. They have some power ups and stuff you can look at. You're a fan of voting with Big Brother and all that. We can do some fan votes and bring in the. I think they had the fifth down and flip the field and kind of all this stuff. So yeah, that that that's a lot of uh, video game stuff. That I mean, sure, that that can that can be fun. But from a day to day football standpoint, I'll take my CFL rules over any uh, any of the other brands. So we have the Stampeders here, you know, first year now under the the full tutelage of, uh, you know, Jake Mayer, right? I mean, he kind of with the bow and we had all that last year. Jake was on the show last year. I said, I want to get on your bandwagon early. I want to kind of hitch my ride there. Uh, how are the Stamps looking this year? I know we've just had the first preseason, but obviously training camps and all that. Uh, how are Stamps looking going into the year? Well, I mean, if you're if I think basing it off of that first preseason game would be a mistake. Uh, they're, they're only, you know, they're only eight days into camp and there's been wildfires raging in Alberta here over the, over the first, uh, eight days of camp so much so that practices are being canceled or converted into video meetings or being relocated. I mean, there's all kinds of things that are happening here in the first eight days of training camp for both the stamps and the Elks. So I don't know that this was the best showcase of their early talent, but, if you look at Jake Mayer from last season, he was the third highest QB rating of any QB in the league. Uh, if you prorate his stats out, you know, he's about a 4,000-yard passer, which is what you want from this team uh, when they're as good as they are in the run game. I think uh, Jake Mayer doesn't have to be a world beater to beat the world this season with the Calgary Stampeders. Well, yeah, and you saw, we saw Kadeem Gary out there uh, doing well. And I said, yeah, they said, well, they only want to get him in for a little bit. I go, yeah, let's not wear him out there. But it seems like he hasn't lost a beat. I've seen interviews I don't know, with you or whoever posting, you know, he wants to rush for however many yards this season and they want to be all that. It seems like uh, they're coming in with a head of steam here, the Stampeders. Yeah, they were one of the youngest teams in the league last season, and they've brought back a lot of those guys. They had a lot of injury problems, especially in the defensive secondary last year, and a lot of guys were able to gain game experience to come into this season. So if Calgary's able to stay healthy, I don't see why they're not in the Grey Cup conversation. Uh, in terms of, yeah, the West... It I don't know. It's kind of wide open. We got the Vernon experiment now kind of going into season two. And obviously, you know, Saskatchewan's made moves. What do you make of the West kind of start to, you know, top to bottom? Well, I think you've got, uh, you've got Winnipeg and Calgary at the top. 
I think those are the two teams that will be at the top. One of those two teams will host the West final. I don't necessarily like Saskatchewan. They were on uh, they their O line was on roller skates last season, uh, just consistently and constantly pushed back. And their answer to that was to go and get a less mobile quarterback in Trevor Harris. Um, you know, Trevor Harris has a much faster release than Cody Fajardo does. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, he's going to be on the run a ton. Uh, I don't necessarily like what Saskatchewan has. I figure them for an under 500 finish this year in BC. I mean, you know, yes, you said it's year two of the Vernon Adams experience, but really what it is, is the the Nathan Rourke hangover and realizing that, that the best quarterback talent that this league has seen in, in a long, long time is no longer in the league and can Vernon Adams be as successful as they were last year. I, I don't think he can be. He's He's been a quarterback that is successful in spurts throughout his career, but has never really dominated. And I think the difference between that team being as good as they were and as bad as they were the year before was Nathan Rourke. So I don't know that BC takes many steps forward. And I mean, the Elks are a dumpster fire, have been for a long time, will continue to be. I don't believe in Taylor Cornelius. Uh, Kevin Brown up there as a running back maybe their only saving grace. They have an incredibly deep receivers room, but I just don't see Cornelius as an on-target quarterback. Why, you know, now how many years are we going to give Chris Jones? Because I know he came in and people are upset and, you know, hey, it's going to take time. I mean, this is going into year three now, right, of the Chris Jones? Like how how long, how much, how how great of a leash does he have? And obviously we heard, you know, you guys reported that, you know, Edmonton losing, you know, was it $2 million or $3 million? Whatever. Like seems like not all is well there in Edmonton. Yeah. I think if Chris Jones doesn't have a playoff team this year, I don't know if he survives the off season. Um, you know, he is an expensive hire. And when you look at, at Edmonton's report, um, a lot of the reason why they lost money was because they're still paying severance to a lot of people. Um, so as long as that's on the books, they may not make a change up there um, because they're still paying off Brock Sunderland and Ed Hervey and all kinds of people um, up there. And that's a, a big chunk of their loss. But I, I think if Chris Jones doesn't make the playoffs this season, I think the, the team up in Edmonton has to seriously look at it. I mean, we're not – and, and to, to steal a, sound, a famous football soundbite when I say they're trying to make the playoffs, I mean, they're also just trying to win a game at home. They haven't won a game at home since changing the franchise's name. And that like, it's over 1200 days or something since they've won a game at home. Um, You know, they may not be looking for playoffs, but a a game, a home win would be a, a, a step forward for this club. It was funny. I had a, I shot a wedding last weekend and the couple, it was like their nine year anniversary and they knew exactly they were in it. It was a 3,333 day since they met. And I was like, and they didn't plan it that way, but I said, God, the fact that you went back and they were, I guess you can plug that into a computer and calculate that, but that just seems right. like a wild number to be able to pull up that you No, it's a long time for Edmonton. Uh, did you feel like they looked good? And I'm going to talk with Dave Campbell, get uh, obviously, cause you're going to be biased. I'm just kidding. But like, how did you, <laughs> How did you think that Edmonton looked? And, and you know, obviously they're, we're moving quarterbacks around and kind of doing all that stuff. Yeah, Jarrett Dagey looked the best of their quarterbacks. He was on the run. He was making on-target throws on the run. Um, I, I thought that Kyle Oxley, that experiment should end. Um, you know, the guy's a good receiver, but I don't want him as a quarterback. And, and Jones has this kind of mentality of trying to put players where they may not belong initially because they're athletes and teach them how to play the position. But 
it was also weird to me that he brought Loxley back into the game at all. You know, the idea that that he had three quarterbacks and one of them played the first quarter and the fourth quarter, which was separated by like two and a half hours of actual time. Um, that was really weird to me. But uh, I thought Daggy looked good uh, for French, which I'm sure isn't how you pronounce it, but that's how I'm going to say it because there's two Fs at the beginning. Um, looked good as a receiver in spots, but he also dropped a couple crucial ones late. Uh, when Edmonton was trying to get back in the game. So, um, you know, I, I like the idea of, of Kevin Brown. Um, he was a guy that that really kind of stood out for me um, as, uh, as um, uh, an Elks uh, all-star last season, but he didn't make the trip down the highway. So if he can duplicate the kind of game he showed to, in the stretch drive last year, Edmonton will have a very dangerous running game. In terms of Calgary, it didn't, you know, obviously we had the bow and all of that, but they were already kind of divorced from him anyway. Just, it doesn't feel like Calgary had to do a lot here in the off season. Have you know, like what did they need to shore up and what did they, what have they kind of done leading into this year? Well, I mean, you did lose Falera Nora Malade and Sean Lemon, both of oh, whom yeah, uh, combined for 22 sacks last year. Although Lemon uh, went to BC and was cut um, or before even getting to play a game, which I thought was surprising. Um, considering he was the reigning most outstanding defensive player for the West uh, division. Um, but uh, so they did have to rebuild their, their defensive line in that way, bringing in James Vodders and silent, signing Julian House there. Um, you know, Kamar Jordan left, so they need to find a third receiver. And who's that going to be? Is it Trey Odom's Dukes able to step into that spot? Or will it be a, a guy like Tommy Lee Lewis coming out of uh, with a lot of NFL experience? Um, but a little smaller, or their their incoming uh, draft pick from a couple of years ago, Rice and John. Uh, he's six foot seven. They targeted him three times uh, on Monday, but he was unable to come down with the ball. Uh, but I do think he makes a very intriguing red zone option. Yeah, what was the deal with Sean Lyman? I do he did recently cut. Like, what it, it, it was it just a big fall off or? Uh, I, I can't say. Uh, Sean Lemon is one of the most intriguing guys in, in CFL history, uh, to my mind. The, he has 92 career sacks, and he's played for like seven different teams and just can't stay on with any team for long. And he keeps leaving Calgary to, to get more money and, and deserves that money when he gets it. But then eventually, you know, just something goes wrong. He doesn't work out in that market, and he ends up finding himself back here. So, uh, I mean, you know, I, I don't know that there's a lot of money for Sean Lemon in Calgary, but I sure as hell would take him as a rotational D-end if there's a contract to be signed. Uh, health, uh, the Calgary franchise, you know, I heard that we're moving seats, you know, we're not selling up. And uh, I I thought 17,000 was a tremendous audience for a preseason game. I think that Danny Austin had put that out. You know, we've been tracking USFL and CFL attendance kind of throughout the last couple of years. Uh, what is the health of the Calgary franchise? Uh, well, I mean, we had we had President, uh, Vice President of Business Operations, Jay McNeil, on our podcast earlier this year. And he said, he said, our season ticket base is less than 15,000, which is a dramatic drop off from even five years ago. I think it was 22 or 23,000 season tickets. So 17,000 for the, the preseason game was definitely an announced crowd. Um, that wasn't a, a butts and seats crowd. Um, that was tickets sold. But I do think they can't, you know, I, I, I want to say the fans here are relatively spoiled. I mean, this team's been good for... 30 years, you know, they've, they've been in the playoffs 17 years in a row. And so the fans here have a great cup expectation 
not a Grey Cup hope. And given that Calgary hasn't won one since 2018, they've lost the West semifinal the last two seasons. You know, I think fans are, are thinking that there might be a better way to spend their money. I mean, never mind the fact that the games are on TSN, they're free, you know, for to, to watch every single game that's not preseason, although they did stream the preseason games. But every game's on television. So do you want to go down to the oldest stadium in the league and, you know, line up for a porta potty bathroom and go to an underserved concession where you get sometimes a warm beer for $12 or do you want to sit at home and watch your 4K TV with your your six pack that you bought for eight bucks at the local store? You know, it, it it's hard to get people out right now, and and I think it's even harder because McMahon is not a destination. You know, you look at some of the other stadiums in the league, and they're nice to go to. You know, I've been to the New Mosaic; it's a nice stadium to watch a football game in. I, you know, Winnipeg has uh, has their new stadium, which is a nice place to watch a football game in. But Calgary just right now, it's not, you know, I love McMahon. I think it's got the best sight lines in the league from any seat. Um, but at the same time, you just, you know, for the for the average casual fan, it's not enough. And the, the fan experience isn't enough. Well, it's just hard because, you know, we've been told here the entire time talking about the CFL, you know, gate driven and that we're obviously doing the CFL plus streaming thing here for free in the States or, you know, we're getting some money on that. And then people always complain about TSN and the money they're getting from that. But, you know, if, if that's the preferred way to watch it, I mean, we even deal with that with the XFL where the the XFL broadcast and the access you get on TV is far superior than watching it in person. But then you still you know, then you get crapped on if there's not anyone in the stands. So I just, it, it right. seems to be an issue for a lot of different reasons, but issues for a lot of these leagues right now. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it's switching to the model. I mean, I, I have trouble with the CFL is failing or, or is in trouble narrative anyway. Um, you know, I, I look at, I look at TSN and the TSN deal provides $5 million per team per season to each team and the salary cap is $5,850,000 for the players. So you can't tell me that even 15,000 season tickets at, you know, an average of 60 bucks a game over nine games, that that's not enough money to run this franchise. You know, I, I think it, it's always interesting. Edmonton losing $2 million last season was an anomaly. Normally when you see the public teams open their books, they're at just above or a little better than break even. And they've always got some sort of fund that they're paying into that draws that eventual number down. But it's, it's impossible for me to believe that every publicly run team in the league either makes money or breaks even. And then every private team must lose an absolute ass load of money in order for them not to be profitable and for the league to be profitable. So I just, I don't buy it. I think it's a, a story that the owners tell to keep salaries repressed. Um, because when you look at the books of the public teams, they're all making money. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, the Edmonton thing was interesting. And I know we brought in Victor. We're trying to do a lot of different, like, you know, uh, promotions and things. And the sense, I mean, why was that so kind of out of the blue there that in terms of that loss? They've lost money for a couple years. COVID is still kicking everyone's ass too. I mean, let's not let's not forget that we're just, you know, this is probably the first season where we're not worried about going into public anymore. 
Like the perception of going in public is is that it's safer than it has been for three years. You had a canceled season, you had a truncated season, you have, and then last season you had a full year, but now you're trying to claw back from those season ticket sales. We got told on our show that that that's the Stampeders retain about 86% of their season ticket holders every year. They have a 14% turnover year over year where you don't have new, where you have new people coming in and buying tickets and you have people no longer retaining their tickets. And when you look at the COVID season, you know, you lose 15% of your season ticket base there. And then from the canceled season and you can't sell those tickets to people, they didn't decide to have a season in 2021 until about two weeks before. So it's too late to get those people back on board. And so you lose another 15% through regular cancellation. Well, now you're down 30 some odd percent in your overall ticket sales. And that you know, they're just starting to try and recover that now. And I think that's across the league. Attendance was down almost everywhere. Um, and so I'm not surprised to see that happening. What are your thoughts on the American CFL plus deal, CBS Sports Network amalgamation? The more Americans that can watch the better football game, the better. Um, you know, I, I understand uh, that uh, CFL plus. Um, or yeah, they were on, uh, I believe they were on ESPN plus before and now they're on CBS plus, which gets to fewer households, but has more viewer that I I'm not sure about all the metrics behind it, but from what they're saying, this is the most, um, this is the most financially lucrative U S broadcast deal they've ever signed. I'll take it. Any, anything that brings more money into the league is, is better. Um, I think if you're, if you're out there, I think you should be, you know, if you're watching the Mark cast during CFL season, you're going to get a lot of CFL talk. So you're probably already a fan of, of the league, but if you're stumbling across this because you, you caught onto the show during USL USFL season or XFL season, I encourage you to get out there and watch CFL football. It's really great quality football. It's a league that's been around for more than a hundred years. And, you know, and, and you and I have, have gone back and forth on XFL and, and, you know, uh, the, the, the previous failures, although, Hey, they got to the end of the season this year and it looks strong, looks like they want to go again next year. And that's great. But for my money, the CFL probably has the second best collection of talented football players in North American football and in the world, because this is where we play it. Um, I think I think the the second best set of, of football players are up here in Canada, and I think that proves out with how many guys sign NF, NFL deals every season out of this league. Yeah, does it just real quick here? Does it change your tune at all? Yeah, that the XFL here we've crowned a champion. USFL here is going to crown a second champion here in a couple of weeks. Uh, I mean, again, I I don't think that that changes my thought on where the best players are, um, because I think what what the CFL game does is it features the athleticism of players that may not focus uh, too heavily when you're talking about a four down hundred yard game. Um, you know, you, you get guys who have the ability to make plays up here, you know, linebackers that can track guys across a 65 yard field. If you look at Alex Singleton, he bounced around to a bunch of different camps before now he's, 
you know, he's having 19 or 20 tackle games in the NFL because he was a guy that learned to pursue across the 65-yard field. Well, that's something that translates down into the U.S. game very easily. So I still think that the best collection of, of talent is still in the CFL from a football perspective. That may change over the next couple of years, you know, I think. But the USL and XFL right now are, are they're gathering their rosters from players who weren't on CFL rosters already. So that may change in the next couple of years here. But for now, I still think that your best collection of American-born players are still in the CFL. Uh, last question for me. Do you, does, does Bo have a resurgence this year? What is Bo? And I've seen the media photos now. We have, you know, we had all the photos and now we have real photos of him. Like, is he going to have another two, three year career here in Hamilton? I want him to, I like Bo a lot. I like Bo a lot. Um, you know, I don't know if he's going to be able to win a great cup because the only two times he's won a great cup championship was when he showed up on our podcast uh, here in Calgary in 2014, 2018. Um, those are the two times he went out and won a great cup. Um, but I do, uh, I mean, you know, I like the guy. I think he's great for the game. I think he's great for the CFL. It's great to have a guy that's out there that, that that's that brash and has got that kind of swagger to his game. Uh, you know, I, I hope he has a resurgence season in Hamilton. I just, you know, they, they, they often said in Calgary throughout the 90s when Wally Buono was here, it's better to let a guy go a year too early than a year too late. Um, and the news today that Orlando Steinauer is saying, I don't think that Bo will play at all in our first preseason game. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's very possible that either scenario is equally as likely that, you know, he's not ready to play in the preseason game. And so he won't be playing or they don't think he needs to because he's showing out so well in practice. It's, it's going to be a really interesting watch um, from a guy whose shoulder may or may not be ready for the rigors of a full season. I think I got Steve Milton come on on next week. So only we'll do a deep dive on the Bo Levi. On that. But so uh, you're telling you have the reverse effect because McCoy McCoy Bethel Thompson was undefeated in the USFL until he came on our show. Now he has lost two games <laughs> in a row. So you have you have the opposite effect. Were you only yeah, we, winner son? Uh, when we were the CFL Horseman, we called it the Horseman Bump. Uh, the amount of time Alex Singleton came on our show before he was a starter, uh, and then all of a sudden he was the Defensive Player of the Year the next season. Um, we have a lot of guys that show up on our show early in their careers and go on to become stars. I can't take credit for that. That's all the Stampeders drafting and developing, but our, our track record's pretty darn good. Yeah. Meanwhile, I had a Ben Holmes no show my podcast and then went up and won a great cup. So, uh, oh, you well, know. <laughs> so, so what, what you're saying is I need to let the stamps media know that no stamps are to do your show at all. <laughs> uh, well, Ryan, I really appreciate it. Like I said, we banter back and forth and now CFL Absolutely. season, I'm sure we'll be talking more online, but I really appreciate you taking the time today. And like I said, I just, it was still just surreal that day and kind of discovering CFL Twitter. Cause it really did all come. Like it was, I think it was, either the Arash episode or it was like the first day and we're like, Oh my God, like they, this is the whole world now. So I really appreciate it. Hey man, my pleasure to come on and uh, just uh, let me know when you want me to come talk stamps in the future. Well, I appreciate it. We have sitting outside a beautiful Commonwealth stadium. There it looks like Trey Ford, Edmonton Elks. How are you doing? Yeah. 
Uh, really good. Just, uh, you know, enjoying training camp and getting back into football, which is fantastic. Looks like a beautiful day. What's your day consist of right now? What do you have going on? Uh, just finished practice early this morning. You know, did some of the hot tub, cold tub therapy kind of routine. Uh, ate some lunch, watched a little film, got another meeting coming up at 4, and another meeting tonight. So, full day. Uh, what's it like getting back into, yeah, like you said, coming off the off season, getting back into, you know, the real deal here? What's it feel like? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's it's felt fantastic. Honestly, way better than last year, just based on the fact that, you know, I'm a second-year player now. Like, I knew a lot more of the offense coming in. I remember, like, last year at training camp, come in, you know, doing the install, going back to the hotel, study until, like, 12 o'clock, wake it up at, like, 5.30, 6 o'clock, and then, you know, you don't get a lot of sleep. The days get long really fast versus now it's kind of just a refresher, so it's, it's a lot quicker to, to review the material and then go perform on the field for sure. Uh, yeah, how hard is the acclimation process of getting up there? I mean, obviously, you know, you're Canadian, having played up there, but, you know, coming in and you got, you know, Chris Jones barking at you and everything else. What's it like kind of coming into that situation? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I feel like I actually came in, like, uh, pretty good circumstances. Uh, team accepted me pretty well. The coaches, all, you know, super cool guys. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, it was just it was just learning the offense was definitely the tough part, especially at the quarterback position especially coming from like OUA and going to a professional level with a lot of guys, you know, who've coached in the CFL for many years and even in the NFL. So it's uh, it was definitely a struggle to, I'd say, learn the offense because just in OUA and new sports in general, it's a lot more simplified. And then out here, there's it's stuff's a lot more complicated. So it does take a little bit longer to catch on and everything. So. Did you feel extra pressure just as a quarterback being taken in the first round like that and coming in as a Canadian? Did you feel uh, out of pressure? Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't feel any out of pressure. Uh, I always like, you know, hold myself to high standards. So whether I was drafted in the first or the seventh, or if I was an undrafted free agent or whatever, it was, I always expect to go in and perform and do well. So uh, I would say there was, there was definitely more stress just put on myself just because I always want to do well versus being drafted in the first round. Uh, what was the year like for you last year? Obviously, you know, the team had struggles and, and you came, you know, dealing with injuries and all of that. It seemed like you gave a spark when you came in. I know a lot of people have been clamoring to see more of you. What was the year like for you last year? Yeah, so there was definitely some highs and some lows. I mean, you know, I like just looking back at it, you know, the last, you know, week, we went and we looked at our preseason games. So I remember, like, looking back, I just watched some of the Winnipeg game today. You know, I was fresh, like, you know, new meat on the block. Uh, I went out there, and first six or seven plays, boom, cover zero. They really made sure I had, like, I had to know my offense, right? I had to know where all my hots were and everything. And I, I struggled a little bit that game, I can admit it. Uh, but then I came out the second week against Calgary in the preseason, and I played, like, a lot better than I remember, too. Like, I played extremely well in that game, I thought, for, you know, being in the offense for four or five weeks at that point and being a rookie and everything. So I thought I actually played really well that, that thing, but I'm always so hard on myself. Like I was thinking back to it last year. I'm like, ah, I could, I could have did better. I could have did better. But this year coming in and evaluating the film from last year, I thought, it, I thought I did really well in that second game. And then, you know, just waiting, trying to buy time to get my first career start in an actual game in the actual regular season. And then, uh, I got granted that opportunity in the fourth week. Uh, we played Hamilton, and um, 
I put together a solid, a solid game. I'd say not nothing fantastic, nothing crazy, but you know, I don't think I, I don't think I won us the game, but I don't think I lost us the game, and our defense was able to step up and actually help us win that game, which was fantastic. So we did end up getting the first win of the season, and then you know, I was starting to get confident, you know, feeling good in the offense. Come out week five against Calgary at home. Boom, boom, a couple plays here. Have a big explosion play where I'm breaking tackles, running around in the backfield, throw a ball at 50 yards down the field. Big play, and then we had like a quarterback power the next play. Then I got hurt, and then I missed, you know, eight weeks. And those were those are a long, long eight weeks. Like you're out here when you, you know when you're actually active. You come to you come to the facility, the day goes by super, super fast. But in therapy, you're just kind of lagging around all day, trying to do your therapy, get a little bit of workout in and stuff. So, yeah, those were definitely a tough, long eight weeks. And then, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm an adamant film watcher, but it, it's I personally like enjoying watching film that I'm actually in. I feel like I learn more from it. It's it's a lot harder, right? Because you're like, oh, I maybe would have did this a little bit differently, did that a little bit differently. So um, it, it was definitely – it was it was a long eight weeks. But then – I got back into it after, and I got another start later on, I think, in the last game of the year. And I, I thought I did pretty well in that last game. Uh, definitely, definitely some mistakes, but, I mean, I definitely seen an improvement from the start of the year. And then even now, just being here in this training camp, I definitely can just see and feel the difference. Uh, my confidence throwing more on timing. I definitely just feel a lot better in the offense overall. And, I mean, I'm super excited to get this year rolling. What was uh... – conversations obviously you had with coaches and staff and everything what were your position coming into the year because it felt like you gave the spark last year obviously got hurt and then it felt like you kind of got like you know and we love taylor and we've covered him back down through the xfl and all of that but it felt like you kind of got leaped over and so what is what is your position now or what have they you know what have that, those conversations looked like um yeah i mean i i've been told that I, i'll always get a chance to compete for the starting job and I mean, I'm super grateful for that. Um, but, I mean, coming in and, you know, viewing things, you know, not trying to be biased towards me or towards Taylor or anybody. Like, I understand they have him the starting guy right now. I mean, he stepped up last year when the team needed him. He did a super, super great job. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful he was there for our team last year to pick him up. Um, but, I mean, I'm, I'm still here to compete for that starting job. Obviously, if, uh, if, he, if he does better than me, you know, he wins the competition – uh, that's great. He's going to, you know, lead the team and everything. Uh, even if it's, you know, even if I get my chance later on in the year, you know, week eight or four or 12, whatever it is, uh, I'm just going to be ready for my opportunity. I understand he's the guy right now, but you, you got to play, you got to do well to keep your job. And so, you know, it, it's always job hunting out here in professional football. So, but, uh, I've got nothing, nothing bad to say about Taylor. He's a great dude. Uh, I'm always cracking jokes with him. Great guy. He's a great leader. And, uh, I think we've got a really good quarterback right here. Yeah. Does that give you extra motivation seeing, you know, obviously him getting the contract and knowing you're coming in and kind of seeing, Hey, maybe that's something I could get to, or with either with Edmonton or somewhere else. Does that give you that motivation? Um, yeah, I mean, it's like, obviously you always want to be able to, you know, get the best contract you can get, you know, make the most money you can make, but I'm more focused on, just like I, I don't care if he makes more money than me like I'm more into who gets more first downs who's driving the field more completions touchdowns better ratios and everything so I'm definitely more 
focused on the actual football aspect. And then if you know if you can go out there and compete and do well, all the other stuff will come based on how you play. Uh, in terms of where we cover BC, I mean, we cover all everything, but I'm out here in Seattle. So BC is kind of our team as well as Edmonton. Obviously seeing the success and, you know, Nathan Rourke's been talked to death, but getting the spotlight on you guys as, you know, Canadian athletes, Canadian, any position, but especially as a quarterback, do you carry that as, as a badge of honor? Do you want to, does that put more pressure on you? How do you view that and how you compete? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful to be Canadian and playing in the CFL for sure. Um, and I do, I do carry that title. I will definitely embrace it and try to be a role model for younger Canadians moving up. But at the same time, I also, it's like, I embrace it, but I also don't want it to be the definition of me. Yeah. You know, I don't want somebody keeping me on the roster because, oh, I'm a Canadian good quarterback. I'm a good look for the team or anything like that. I want to be kept on the team or being a starter based on how I play and being uh, a dominant quarterback in the league, not just being a Canadian quarterback. Uh, how many conversations preseason have circulated around the whole uh, home losing streak and wanting to kind of remedy that this year? Yeah, um, honestly, I haven't heard a lot about it. Uh, we do have a we have a like a newer receiving core this year. Um, c- a couple new pieces on the O line as well, and even on the defense, we got some new guys. Uh, I think we're a lot further ahead this year than we were last year, and I just don't think a lot of guys are super aware of that yet. So maybe uh, coming up, you know, on Saturday, they'll talk about it a little bit, but yeah, I haven't heard a ton of stuff. I, I don't think a ton of people actually know the losing streak we've had at home, but I can guarantee we will win a home game this year. 150%. Uh, what is uh, coach Jones? Like he's been on the, po- he's been on our show. I would call him a friend of the podcast. What's he like is, uh, you know, mentor and a coach and everything else. Yeah, he's a he's a super great guy. I mean, uh, I think he's a fantastic guy. I think he's a fantastic coach. I think sometimes, you know, like I have people talking to me about how, you know, the, the media makes him look a little more kind of hard, gritty, and, you know, like a loose cannon a little bit, I feel like. But he's a, he's a super great guy. Nothing but good things to say about him. He's a great coach. And, I mean, I'm super grateful that he picked me, you know, selected me, especially in the first round to come out here to Edmonton and, you know, build a new team and, you know, get Edmonton back to where they used to be. A uh, couple more here. I'll let you go. I appreciate it here after meetings yep. and everything else fit me in. What, uh, you know, goals for you this year? Like I said, last year you said some real highs and some real lows. What are you looking forward personally to accomplish this year? Uh, yeah, so there's like, you know, I have all kinds of different goals that I'm aiming for. I mean, the, the biggest one is to to just be the best quarterback that I can be and be the best leader for the team that I can be. That's definitely number one. And I think if I can accomplish that, I feel like a lot of the other ones, like like re-earning the starting job, right? And then it would probably be more to trying to become the leading passer, getting our team to the playoffs, winning a championship. I think all those teams kind of fall in after getting that starting job back and becoming the best quarterback that I can be. So, I mean, it's not, it's not going to be over. I'm not going to be the best quarterback I'm going to be this year, not even next year. You know, probably it's it's going to be over time. The more the more you learn, right, the better off you're going to be. Do you feel like going through last year really kind of hardened you mentally and emotionally here? The kind of you know, because I mean, I've never I haven't played a snap of anything, but you know, I've been told football is the most you know challenging thing. But just having gone through all that so early in your career, do you feel like that's hardened you and prepared you now? Yeah, I, honestly, I feel like uh, I mean, no nobody ever wants to get hurt, and you know, you don't want to miss any weeks. 
But I mean, I think it was a, I think it was actually a good thing for me to, to learn because, you know, like going through high school and then OUA, U sports, uh, I was always, you know, I was always the guy, right? And I was always kind of just like, kind of guaranteed everything. But like, you know, you get to the professional level, you realize nothing's guaranteed. Everything can change after one snap, right? And I had to, I had to learn last year how to be in that backup role and how to try to motivate our team off that, um, how to play, how to practice, how to prepare for a game. Cause it, it's, it's definitely a, it's definitely a learning curve for sure. I mean, and you don't want to, you don't want to prepare for a game as a backup. Cause I'll tell you what, for everybody who is doing that, it's a terrible idea because it's one snap away. Like I, even if you ask Taylor, I mean, you talked to him last year, he probably wasn't expecting to go in that game when he had to, right. It kind of just happened. So, I mean, everything's only it's it's one injury away and then your name's called and you've got to be able to perform so you always got to prepare like you're gonna start it well trey i we, like i said we get more questions about you and wanting to see you play in edmonton than anyone you know obviously you know cfl quarterbacks a little fluid sometimes but i hope you get a good opportunity this year i'll be watching the preseason games we have our cfl plus now i'll be watching here in the states but uh, really excited like i said edmonton's one of the teams we hold dear so i really appreciate your time today and wish you luck this year we're excited for you Thank you. I appreciate you. Awesome, man. Good luck. We'll see ya. Well, we had this gentleman on uh, XFL. Now, uh, Eric Eager with Sumer Sports back. We're talking USFL Week 7. I can't believe we're already... I saw Brett today posting, like, playoff tickets. We're getting ready for the playoff tickets. Uh, How is USFL uh, Season 2 treating you? It's been good. I've, uh, you know, I've really enjoyed um, watching the games early in the season, you had a lot more scoring, uh, you know, and then the last few weeks, uh, not so much. I believe every game uh, went under last week, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, seven of the last eight have been won outright by underdogs, uh, many of which were underdogs by quite a bit. So uh, it, it's been an interesting season. I've, I've certainly enjoyed, uh, you know, spring football is always like a nice like drink of water during a, a long uh, sort of walk in the desert. So I, I like it a lot. Is it, you know, and we talked last year and had you, I mean, is it living up to season two? Did you expect more growth this year? Is it where you thought it would be in terms of, you know, production and talent and everything else? It's actually better than I expected. I think that, you know, continuity has really been cool for the league, right? So you watch, you know, uh, the New Jersey Generals and you get Darius Victor and you get, uh, you know, DeAndre Johnson, although he was benched this past week. Um, you know, when you go to Birmingham, you get Alex Magoo, you know, you, you, you had Jamar Smith before the injury, um, you know, and, and some players coming on in defense on defense. And then you have some, you know, injection of good talent in the league with Breland speaks in, in Michigan. And, and I think the coaching is other, yeah, has been better. I think the coaches that struggled in year one have all been replaced and have actually been better. Uh, I think than uh, previous years. So, uh, it, it's been good. I obviously, I think that, um, you know, there's there's some question about, you know, is it better than the XFL? Like, what would the best team in the USFL be on a neutral field against the best team in the XFL? Like, I'm not really, like, concerned about that right now, especially with both leagues are not on at the same time, really. Um, it, it, it's it's met my expectations. Uh, you said scoring down. Uh, it has been a thing. I mean, this last week we had a shut, you know, shutout. The Stars have won two games now without scoring an offensive touchdown. Like, what do you attribute that to? Because it's weird. Like, we should be peaking kind of here near the end of the season. Yeah, I think. I mean, it, 
defense is generally harder to put together than offense, right? And, um, you know, you have weak link systems. You have, uh, you know, secondary play that I think was off. Um, you know, I think more holding is being – like I, I don't have the data in front of me, but I think more holding is being called on run plays which and pass plays, which is hurting. Um, I think th- there's been a reasonable amount of offensive pass interference penalties called as well. Uh, so I think that there are just like things the league is doing that's suppressing scoring a little bit. And then the quarterbacks that I think, you know, started out really strong, you know, the, the McLeod Bethel Thompson's, the uh, Alex Magoo's of the world, you're not, and even in Michigan where, you know, Josh Love like was really good early on. Like, I don't think that those players are really playing up to, uh, where they played at the beginning of the season. And, you know, offense really does go as quarterback play goes. Do you feel like they've done a good job this year with assembling the quarterbacks? I mean, obviously McLeod was kind of a big, you know, the offseason signing. But, you know, like you said before, the continuity and, you know, DeAndre Johnson and all the others. I think so. I mean, even – but we even look at, like, Case Cook is here, for example. Like, he really didn't – you know, he's really not gotten protected, right? And that and that's a really hard – uh, way to win as you said they won you know now they're three and uh three and three i believe and like you know they won the first game offense was fairly strong with Corey coleman and 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 you know uh coburn and, and stuff like that but you know you don't from there you don't really have you know the offensive line to protect him and he's gotten beaten up and it doesn't look like he's gotten he's been able to like sort of maintain uh you know even what expectation would be under pressure uh and, and so you know you've seen a decline in play there um, you know, that, that to me, I, I think is, is a big issue. Obviously we saw case last year, get look, uh, it would have gotten more looks after the season, but obviously had the injury and then, right. I think he was a cup of coffee with, was it the Rams? I think he got in there for a little bit, but do you see any of the quarterbacks here stand out that you would think would get looks following the season? I think cook is, if he comes out of it healthy, probably will. He probably would have had he not it got in, gotten injured in the championship game. Um, I think beyond that, it's, you know, we saw some quarterbacks that weren't particularly good in the XFL get looks. So you, you could see that happen. Um, I'd be surprised, though, given that there are two leagues. And I think many people believe the XFL was the better of the two leagues with Ben DiNucci getting a, getting literally signed by the Denver Broncos, not only uh, uh, a, a workout. Um, I, I And the third quarterback rule in the NFL changing, that could help a lot as well. Like, you know, there is like an incentive to develop these guys now. Um, it, it could it could lead to more, but I just don't know if quarterback play has been good enough across the league. Like Kenji Bahar has been okay. Uh, I think he's been probably the biggest surprise. Uh, maybe he could get a look as a, you know, athletic young quarterback. Um, but I, I, I think it's, I think it's going to be hard for a lot of them other than Cookus. Were you surprised yet that Danucci was signed so quick and then I'm seeing like immediately throwing pick sixes and everything else in practice? Like to me, that was kind of shocking. I mean, good for him, but like very, very quick. Danucci to me was interesting because I don't know if you got this view when you were watching the XFL, but Danucci felt kind of Kyle Sloterish to me in that there were there were good things. You'd, you'd watch him make a completion. You're like, oh, that's pretty impressive. But they weren't scoring as much as a guy with like that brilliant of a season, right? Like, you know, Sloter was first team all USFL last year, but it wasn't like the New Orleans Breakers had a great offense. Um, and they, they, they couldn't finish in the red zone. And there were there were some games. I know the overtime game was was very clutch when they, they, they put up enough scoring there to win. But for the most part, like he was not delivering. And I think like Seattle, you know, there were some games where they were in the teens and and he was not particularly impressive. Even the game, 
you know, where they had to win to get in the playoffs. Like the first half of that game, they only scored six or seven points. And you're just like, you know, I think a lot of people look at football like artistically more than they look at production. And I get that to an extent, but I think Danucci is going to fall into that realm where I think he was doing some really cool things. I don't know if he was doing some very, he was, he was all that much more effective than some of the other guys. It, we're talking the quarterbacks with the USFL. Have we started seeing the dilution of talent with the two leagues or uh, do you feel like that we're still kind of waiting for that down the line? I, I think, I, I think you are going to see it a little bit for sure. And I think if the NFL starts to carry more quarterbacks because of the rules, I think you could very much see that. So to me, that, that might be, that might be part of what, what's baked in. I, I have not like watched these games and thought to myself, Oh my gosh, there's not enough talent. I, I, you know, and maybe I have reasonable expectations about what this league should be, but I have not watched a game and thought to myself, oh, wow, the talent's really bad. I mean, you know, there was a game where, you know, uh, the the Philadelphia Stars, I couldn't stop the Houston Gamblers. And I said, this is this might be the worst defense in in uh, pro football. But I, you know, for the most part, I, I've been I've been fairly OK with the, the level of talent across the league uh, in terms of best teams right now. I mean, you know, it, Seems like it's in the South. Breaker is kind of coming down a little bit. Obviously, Stallions holding in there. Who are you making kind of your pick here in the South? Yeah, when I look at this, I do think the Gamblers are a team that, that you know, initially I thought it was kind of a fluky thing, um, but I've had to sort of adjust my priors. I make the Gamblers about a – and this is how, like, condensed the league is with so many underdogs winning. I make the Gamblers the second-best team in the league, uh, 1.5 points better than the average team on a neutral. I still make Birmingham – four points better than the average team on a neutral, but you know, that's declined over recent weeks. I mean, when they were, when they beat the Memphis showboats, what was it like 42 to two or something like that? Um, you know, I, I certainly, it, it certainly made me uh, adjust for a while and think that they were, they were a team that needed to be, you know, sort of reckoned with, but for the most part, Birmingham has not been as, you know, as strong. I know they won and covered the other day, but they have not been as strong uh, as, as suggested, you know, I, I also think I make New Orleans a point better than the average team on a neutral. Uh, and then from there, you have Memphis uh, about, you know, a little bit below an average team on a neutral. They are, you know, whereas I only make one team in, in the north, uh, you know, up, you know, better than the average team on a neutral. And that's the, the New Jersey general. So the, the south is going to be hard. Um, I think Houston is, you know, by stacking up wins when other teams have it and put themselves in a really good position. Um, but I think Birmingham is still the best team there. Why did the generals get that up top, uh, up in the North division? Why did they get that from you? I think defense is really, their defense is really good. Um, offensively, they have to figure out quarterback. I'm not sure why they gave, you know, DeAndre Johnson maybe is a little bit banged up, but I'm not sure why, you know, they would give the entire game to Kyle Lalletta to me, who isn't, you know, uh, you know, he made some impressive throws, but for the most part was very weak uh, the other day and has been for most of his pro career. Um, but you know, defensively, I also think the running game, they lost a game against Philly basically because Darius Victor couldn't hang on to the ball with three fumbles. Uh, I, I think eventually things will rise to the top. I think Mike Riley is one of the better coaches in the league. Uh, so I'm going to give them that benefit of the doubt. Uh, in terms of Riley doing good, I think Bart Andrews has looked tired. I don't know. I see him, and I was joking, like him and Case Cook is kind of on the sidelines. Really a horrendous game for them last game and the turnovers and all that. I mean, he seems like he's really not locked in right now. Are you noticing that? Yeah, it, it, it looks unimaginative for sure. Like they haven't, you know, last year they were kind of wide open and Case Cook was a lot of fun. Brian Scott before him, 
Um, even uh, Costello in the championship game, like was able to get them in the back door to cover the, the spread in the championship game. Um, but I, I just think, you know, it, it does look, it does look tired. And, and, you know, when you have an offensive line problem as bad as theirs, like, I don't know what there is to do. They have shorted up a little bit defensively in recent weeks, but some of that is turnover luck. Some of that is getting a pick six against New Orleans. Some of that is getting, uh, you know, the, all the turnovers. Uh, although they moved the football enough to kick eight field goals against uh, against New Jersey, I think that that was a little bit of a, a, of a, um, a fluke as well. So I, I think that um, – you know, it, it does look tired there. I have them about an average team on a neutral field, and that's just because, you know, three other teams, uh, you know, or three, two other teams in their division are the worst teams in, in the whole league, and the Maulers and the Panthers. And, and, you know, the Showboats are kind of – they're emerging a little bit, but they're still, in my opinion, a little bit below that. Uh, would, yeah, is that a stat you would champion the eight field goals <laughs> the most? Like, <laughs> No, I mean, at least you're getting into scoring range, and I know that, you know, red zone efficiency is not a, a – stable stat year to year and game to game, but they've done it now for a few games in a row. As you said, like they've moved the football. Okay. They've gotten turnovers. I think the getting turnovers part is the really unfortunate part. Um, but they have not been able to sort of capitalize on it, which has been unfortunate. Uh, are you surprised uh, Maulers looked like they had life now? They don't. I mean, now it looks like they're kind of back down in the, uh, kind of in the dungeon again. Yeah. They, they, the defensively, if you can play some defense, like you're going to, you're going to have, you know, you're going to have some, okay, things happen to you in this league. And they did that offensively. I mean, what they went like the first two or three games without scoring a touchdown uh, last week, they couldn't score. Um, you know, if you had, if you had them against, I mean, they were favored by three against Memphis to open on bet online. That was, I, I texted my friend. I said, this is the easiest bet you've ever made in your life uh, on Memphis. Um, and then, you know, second half of that game, you know, they, they, you know, Memphis didn't even want to really move the football in the second half of that game. And still, uh, you know, Pittsburgh couldn't do anything with it. So, it, it, yeah, I think they were spunky at the beginning. And, and that's what I like about this league. Last year, you had teams like Michigan. You had teams like Pittsburgh um, that really added nothing the whole year. Uh, Houston was a competitive team, but not they didn't win. But teams that weren't even competitive week to week like Michigan – uh, and he and and Pittsburgh, you kind of have you you don't have that this year, but those teams are starting to fall off again. Yeah, because it, it seems we've we've championed and for better or worse. I don't know if if having parity across the league. I've, I've I hear both things where like you know you have too many losing divisions. What do you make of that and and the parity here headed into week seven? Well, I mean, if you're a gambler or something like that, like you really do like the parity because you like being able to just you know take underdogs every week and 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 hope and and hope it works out especially in a league where there's not a ton of scoring right now like that to me appears to be the the right way to to do it um does that does that make for better football i'm not sure i i i personally think the last few few weeks have been you know low scoring in an, in a sort of ugly way and, and i'm and i'm interested to see you know if that thing turns around uh, in terms of you said you talking to your friend the you know putting the wagers on and stuff, has there been a lot of action? Have you noticed that? Is it better or worse than last year? Because I know you guys, uh, you know, all complained last year about like you know getting the injury reports and kind of everything to be able to do that you know, effectively to, to gamble and all of that. Have you noticed an uptick this year? I haven't, but I'm also like not gambling now with with Sumer, so it, it you know I. I I think the DFS tournaments have not particularly. I, I don't think that they've had the overlay or the or the the payouts that that you really want, uh, which which is unfortunate. Um, 
I think that there are some sharp groups that are that are betting USFL for sure and moving lines. Um, but I think that they've gotten killed. Like if you look at the last few weeks, uh, you know, some of these totals have gone from mid 40s to high 40s and the games are landing like tw- in the 20s. So uh, I'm not maybe, you know, licking their wounds a little bit because this league has been hard to predict. And I think hard to predict is good, obviously, you know. Um, with a league with so little data, but that means you have to be disciplined and not, and not, you know, obviously, uh, think you know more than you do. Is that so? Is that just a byproduct of the football? Is there things the league could be doing? Is it just, hey, we we got it's year two of this, and teams are just trying to win? And I mean, what do you attribute that to? I think that they're calling the games, you know, in a way that will be more conducive to unders. Like they're calling holding, they're calling illegal man downfield, they're doing a lot of things that. Like, I think you have to call them, but it's one or two. I mean, in a game and, and the clock, the clock is also a big deal. Like when the clock is running, like basically the whole game, um, you can't have you can't punt, you know, and, and and it's weird. You also can't have drives that get you to midfield and you punt. And, and, you know, with the kickoff being the way it is, a lot of teams are starting near midfield and then punting and then, you know, pinning teams deep. And like that, you know, unless there's a turnover or something like it's not going to be conducive to scoring. And that just, um, you know, that that's just a, you know, a, an issue of, you know, kind of like the way the, the way the game's branded. But I think that there's a little bit also uh, in in kind of how the game is being called that has been uh, a little bit less uh, fortunate as far as uh, scoring is concerned. It's interesting. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on the a little bit more on the kickoff, and then we can do kind of the matchups here before we get out real quick, rapid fire. Um, you know, we obviously have seen the NFL this week and all that and the fair catch and everything else, and the XFL kickoff's been circulating. USFL, they're, you know, booting the ball halfway down the field here, kicking it off at, was it, the 25 now, 20? Like, what do you what do you make of that? Like you said, kind of artificially inflating teams are able to start almost midfield without getting touched. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's helpful for trying to get more scoring. I think it's it's obviously like a basically thumbing your nose at this idea that kickoffs are more dangerous um, because they're they're not really innovating. They're just making sure more kicks are returned. Um, and, and, you know, unlike the XFL, which I think had an innovative solution to the problem. So, yeah, th- I mean, it's going to help. I, and I think kickers in this league have been tremendous for the most part, uh, which has been cool. I, you know, the special teams in general, I think, are, are what's fun. And, you know, one of the reasons I like, uh, you know, spring leagues is it kind of takes you back to when quarterbacks weren't as good and when special teams mattered more and stuff like that. And that certainly is the case in the USFL. It's a little bit weirder in the XFL because of, you know, no extra point kicks and 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 the kickoff rule being the way it is uh, and punts being the way they are as well. Like, I, I think that it's, um, it, it's a very interesting uh, – you know, discussion about, you know, the relative values in sports are, are these leagues missing the mark now that, you know, they're not really developing like Kevante Turpin's a special teams player. Like how much more, how much value, how much value is he going to add if every kickoff is, is fair caught in 2023 in the NFL? Well, I know. And I think it was back when uh, the XFL brass took over here. I think it was one of the podcasts that Jim Monos did or whatever, where they had talked about kind of scrapping, kicking it all together in the XFL. And I know, I think Sam had talked about that on the show as well. And it was this balance of, well, no, we still want to, you know, it's football. You still want to have kickers, but how can we do all the you know, extra points and all that stuff? It's an interesting thing. I do think, like you said, it takes away the, the, the punt or kick return here. I think this league might have to pivot to developing, you know, the, the thing with special teams is like a lot of the players are non-premium position players. So like running back, linebacker, uh, tight end safety, um, you're, you know, those positions don't matter as much 
in the 11 on 11 game as they do in, you know, as other positions like that. And so maybe, maybe this league is like, okay, well, we're, we're really going to have to showcase pass rushers, pass blockers, quarterbacks, receivers, and, and pivot that way because that, you know, that's going to be what the NFL is going to want out of these leagues uh, in the future. Uh, real quick here before we get out, who do you got on this? Uh, Stallions here, I think game of the week on Fox, the one o'clock against the Breakers. Who are you put, taking? Yeah, so the Stallions are favored by two. Um, I make I make Birmingham more like favored by five. So I, I probably would lay the lay lay it there. The I, I think Birmingham. One of one reason I'm um, you know maybe a little bit off market here is I'm giving Birmingham a home field advantage because they're playing at their home stadium, even though technically they're a road team here. Um, and I make home field advantage for Birmingham in the USFL about a point and a half because people do actually want to go. Uh, and and watch them here. So that 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 would be the that would be my bet here. Awesome. Uh, in terms here, uh, stars Maulers uh, back here at Tom Benson. Uh, this uh, you know uh, hopefully stars kind of get a, another get right game here. What do you make of this? Yeah, this is weird. This this open I think at one in the favor of Philly and then it's moved towards Pittsburgh. Now through zero doesn't really matter. But I, I make Philly. I make the wrong team favorite. I guess is it Philly. I make about a two and a half point favorite. So. Uh, for the second straight week, I think there's opportunity betting against Pittsburgh. Yeah, I don't think the the home field of Canton. I don't think is, <laughs> is the most overwhelming. No. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think they need to revisit that in the offseason. Your gambler showboats. Uh, I make this about. Uh, I make Memphis about two point dogs. So um, you know, Houston has has been pretty good, but I think Memphis getting three and a half at home where their home field advantage, I am making that right now about a point because people have showed up to root for the showboats. Uh, I'm going to make, uh, I think plus three with Memphis is the right bet. Plus uh, three and a half. Sorry. And then we got here uh, Panthers generals here back at uh, Canton. Yeah. The generals are seven point favorites. Uh, I think that's too much for any USFL game, uh, especially one that's either going to be started by Kyle Laletta or, or uh, Deandre Johnson. So I would take Michigan plus the points. Yeah, that's a seven-point favorite. That's crazy. <laughs> I, 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 It doesn't make a lot of sense to me, no. Uh, Eric, any final thoughts for me? I appreciate your time today. No, this has been fun. I always write, uh, love talking about the, uh, the, uh, the spring leagues with you. I can't wait for the CFL to start in a few weeks. Uh, uh, I, you know, I had a lot of fun last year following along, and um, you know, we, we got some quarterback movement in that league too, which will be cool. Yeah, if you ever want to talk CFL on here, we'll do that. I have my preseason game on this week. Very exciting, and we're, we're ramping up. We have lots of CFL coverage here. Well, so. The thing that I like about the CFL, that they do much better than these leagues, and I don't understand why these leagues haven't done it, is the CFL will play Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and sometimes Sunday, sometimes Monday. Uh, they spread the games out and make them, you know, you get, you get a touch point with the CFL like every day of the weekend, which to me is something that these, these leagues have sorely missed. Well, XFL tried that, and then it was kind of such a failure this year. It almost like scares them off, where they don't want to lean into that. It's like, oh shoot, no one watched. Like we don't want to do that. Yeah, and maybe, and maybe the CFL having their whole country as sort of their fan base might help them get like a down. You know, they might have a fixed amount of watchers anyway. Um, but yeah, and maybe I'm just a sicko. Maybe I want to watch all the games and not just you know a game, one game on a Saturday or something. But. To me, it's a missed opportunity, and I, and it's one thing I really like about the uh, the um, CFL. No, I get it, and I, like I said, I think the touch points and having you know, especially here USFL coming into the summer, people have stuff to do on Saturday, Sunday, like Thursday night or whatever. Hey, I like that's a little more manageable that I could do that. So, 
Yeah, in the summer, no one likes baseball that much, and basketball is almost over. And so maybe it's just about who they're competing with, too. Yeah, awesome. Uh, Eric with Super Sports, really appreciate your time today. Thanks. Hey, thanks for having me on. Well, I appreciate this. We had, I think, on the playoff push last year, kind of late season, we had Josh Shepardson on here with Fantasy Pros talking USFL. We have him back today. Josh, how are you doing? Good. How's it going, Reed? It's good. We're getting through. You know, we, we've we moved on now. XFL, I've, I've been enjoying CFL preseason this week. It's exciting. I mean, USFL is fun. I, it's like a totally different flair. And I don't know if you watch any of that. They have like the preseason game and there was a thunderstorm and a rain delay and like cows are running. Like I'm kidding about that. But, you know, it, it's really its own beast up there. But we're talking USFL today. Uh, first and foremost, uh, what do you make of the season here? We're, we're past the midway point. I mean, this word gets thrown around a lot, but I mean, when the shoe fits, it's parody this year in the USFL. Every time I think I have my thumb on the pulse of who really is looking like the cream of the crop, uh, something comes up. I mean, New Orleans has lost two games in a row after their 4-0 start. That, that offense looked brilliant, and they hit the skids. Um, I thought Memphis looked terrible through the first few weeks of the season, and they've rattled off three in a row. Houston seems to have found a groove um it, it's just the, the one area that there is no parity right now I, I feel comfortable saying and i've joked about it a little bit on twitter but in, in all seriousness the south division has just been leaps and bounds better than the north division but beyond that it is tight and i don't feel like anybody is truly pulling away from the pack and uh it's it, it's fun as a fan it is maddening as somebody who tries to cover the sport and make predictions for either sports betting or dfs but overall i'm enjoying it and it's it's definitely a different feel from 2022 significantly i would say it's a different feeling in what way in that uh birmingham looked great last year they looked like a runaway club new jersey had just such a brilliant tandem at quarterback with Mr. Spring Football, Luis Perez airing it out, and then DeAndre Johnson complimenting them in the running game. And they just haven't found that that fluidity in the passing game with Kyle Auletta. Um, and so uh, the North Division, and God, the stars, it's, it's killed me. I, I thought with the continuity at quarterback and head coach and a lot of the skill position players that they would hit the ground running, and the offensive lines looked so bad. So uh, I, I just – different in the sense that there were a few teams that really looked sharp pretty quickly last year and we could kind of get a feel for who was going to make a playoff push by this point in the season and at this point it is wide open it's the, the parody thing is interesting and i know that's come up a lot and, and pat Rafino and i kind of had our we had our monday recap show that you know i get into a lot of the xfl too right and whatever you say it's bad for the one league or good for the other <laughs> vice versa but you know I, I was told in the XFL, it was a good thing. We had all these teams and the divisions were kind of fluid. And I know the Arlington of it all, but, we, you know, them making it to the championship game with a losing record. But people like that where it felt like the XFL or USFL in 2022, the last yeah. three weeks of the year didn't, you know, season didn't matter because da, 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 da. But now all I hear is can people complaining the other way that the parody in the USFL is a bad thing. So I don't like, you know what I mean? I, I kind of hear both sides Absolutely. of that. What do you make of that? I, I, I think the parody is probably better. I mean, people like a dominant team, whether it's to root for it or to root against it, having the villain or the super team is fun. But at the same time, I mean, you're keeping all eight fan bases engaged and that's, that's ultimately a good thing. You don't want any fan bases checked out 
you know, 60% of the way through the regular season. That's that, that can't be good for, for the sport. And so, I mean, yes, we had Arlington make the postseason and win the XFL championship with a losing record, but the North and South division had playoff spots up for grabs going into the final week of the season. And last year, I mean, we, we were just hoping that the stars and the generals were going to not roll the footballs out there and, and kneel it out, you know, joking, of course, but uh, treat it as a, a walkthrough. And they, uh, thankfully they played a competitive game, but I mean, nobody knew what to expect last year. And this year it looks like these teams are going to have to play right down to the wire. And I think ultimately that's a better product. And uh, especially this year without the one hub city, I think you really need to have the fan bases engaged. Uh, the fact that they're playing in four different hubs at this point, um, you don't want any, any hub having no teams competitive at this point because it would be just an awful look, I think, for the product. And I mean, it's out of their control to an extent, but you still don't want to see that happen. Uh, in terms of, I agree, keeping the fan bases and that, you know, engaged. And that was what was so funny with all the XFL playoff stuff was, you know, the, the last two weeks or three weeks of the season wouldn't have mattered if you, if it wasn't the way that it was with the division. So that was because of that, that it came down to the last game of yep. everything that really mattered between the Sea Dragons and the Vipers. I mean, uh, we were there for that. You're talking about the fan bases and keeping people engaged. It's almost like we haven't. It's almost like we talked so much last season about the attendance that like we don't mm -hmm. talk about it this year because it's like oh my god, like we've done all this, but uh, it's it's remarkably slow. And I don't want to say that as you know, I get kind of whatever anyway. But it does feel like you know Birmingham hasn't showed up back this year. Memphis is really kind of MIA. Michigan they're losing at home. That doesn't seem great. Canton hasn't been good since week one. I mean, what what do you make of of the four different hubs? I mean, I, I, I hate to, to do the pitting leagues against each other thing. At the end of the day, more football is better than less football. You and I are on the same page with that. But I do think having the actual home cities hosting their home teams was a great thing. I mean, the D.C. Beer Snake got all the attention in the world. Uh, the Seattle fan base was great. I mean, people showed up because they had a team in their backyard. I think it's tough when you have two teams in Canton and neither is an Ohio based team. Um, it's just, it's tough. And Birmingham, I think they might be a little bit uh, worn out from having all of the games there last year. There's not that new fresh league feel to it. Um, I, I would have thought that maybe they would be a little bit more fired up because they're hosting the, the defending champion, but but at the same time, ultimately, I think it, it'll be better in the long-term interest of the league if if they do away with the hubs and we eventually get the eight teams in, in home stadiums. But I don't know. I'm not a financial guy. I'm not in their, their office to really know. But I, I guess just my general feeling from watching the games is there seemed to be more fan passion in the XFL at the stadiums. In terms of on Twitter, where we see all the people who are the diehards, there's definitely dug in diehards on both sides. There's people like you and I who enjoy both leagues for what they are. And uh, I, I love to see that the TV or the TV viewership seems to still be doing at least enough. Um, I don't know relative to last year, but, but the fact that, that it's not immediately doom and gloom when, when the viewership numbers come up is promising, but ultimately I, I think it would help if these teams had an actual home base as opposed to just, just a hub.
Uh, last, we'll get one more round on this, and then we'll get to you know football mechanics here. I I, I get that, and you know moving the hubs and everything. And you know, it was last year, right? We're going to go to Birmingham. We're going to go, but like you said, I mean, you know, Canton or uh, taking Canton out of it is it's not like Memphis is is really showing up. It's no. not like, and like you said, if if it's the burnout in Birmingham, and we had the eight here last year, and I I, I don't get that. I don't get the Birmingham drop off. I mean, I just they seem really passionate. They have the most no. Facebook groups from what I know about you know the Birmingham fans and all that but I just I don't know if we if if you had everyone can you know everyone that was going to go to a game that lived in or around Birmingham and now we're kind of just spreading that out across I don't know because it's not like I said it's not as if Memphis or Michigan are kind of blowing the doors off the venues right now and that's true and that's surprising to me especially with Memphis with the relocation um from, from Tampa I mean I, I would have expected there to be a little bit more um, passion and uh, almost like that, that recapturing what they had in Birmingham last year because it's just a new franchise and something new, but perhaps the slow start contributed to it. Maybe things will pick up as, as they're winning. I, I'm not sure. I mean, everybody loves rooting for a winner, so hopefully that'll, that'll drum up a little bit of extra extra attendance, but we'll see. Um, and maybe there's a little bit of football fatigue just in the general general spring football public right now because i mean we didn't have the xfl leading into the usfl so i don't know but uh but yeah it is a little disappointing to see that even with the four hubs and and the actual host teams in those hubs not drawing quite as well as i would have expected uh, speaking of the showboats is todd haley a good coach are we i mean he, we we lived through this last year we came back i see he's really good at twerking in the locker room right i think i saw the videos of that but i mean is todd haley a good coach he is a maddening coach. I, I, I don't, I can't put my finger on it. I, I mean, I, I don't know exactly what got under his skin after that Houston loss. I, it was bizarre. I've never seen a coach quite behave like that after a loss. Um, but he's always kind of had a little bit of a poor sport in him, I feel like. And I, I don't know. I'm not the biggest Todd Haley fan. I, uh, but I mean, he's got them on a winning streak and they have not gotten the greatest quarterback play. So I will give credit where it's due. I mean, he, he's pulling, pulling some strings and getting some W's. So it's, it's hard to argue with that. We look here, I'll pull up, we look here in the South. Uh, you, you talk, you, you want to talk about the definition of parody here, four <laughs> and two across the board. Showboats is, I mean, showboats looked like they were out to water, right? Come back here and, and yep. you know, 500 uh, breakers collapse. I don't know if McLeod Bethel Thompson has the Mark cast curse. He came on when they were undefeated on our show and it's not won the game since. <sighs> uh, what do you make of the breakers kind of collapse here uh, against the stars who, who I don't think much won the game last week, more just kind of outlasted New Orleans. Yeah, that was, that was, that's two bizarre games, two bizarre wins in a row for, for the stars. I mean, I, I've loved it as a fan, but I, I went in expecting them to get beaten up pretty good by the breakers. I, I mean, they eked out the win the week before with eight field goals uh, and a four to nothing turnover disparity. I, I was just like, what is going on? And then it was more bizarro football this week, but um I mean, I think part of it's that we've got John Filippo as a first-time head coach. There's a lot on his plate. I think he came out really hot because the offense was great, and that's his side of the football, I, I think. And, I mean, the defense has, has played relatively well even in the last two losses. It's not like they're, they're giving up 30 points a game to uh, their opponents. But at the end of the day, I, I do still think that 
they, they had the offensive pieces. I mean, Wes Hills is such a monster. Um, and, and I love Sage Surratt. Uh, Jonathan Adams is such a, a good vertical player. I really thought the return of Johnny Dixon last week was going to be what they needed to kind of unlock that offense again. But uh, I think they have the right pieces to, to get back on track. Um, if the Stallions get healthier, it's hard to, to bet against them right now. And I mean, Mark Thompson's an absolute monster for the gamblers, but I still have some questions about the quarterback play there. So ultimately, I, I, I still think the breakers are going to be in it until the end. And if I were to handicap the division right now, I still think they will win the South, but I don't say that with any conviction at this point. Well, that's the thing here. I mean, it feels like the Stallions haven't really had a lot go right for them this season at all, but here they are four and two, you know, yep. it's a game of peace separates us where the, you know, the breakers totally the other way it came in so hot and McLeod and, you know, we had talked to CFL people and, oh, he's going to come in and just run circles around everyone. I don't know if, uh, he, you know, we talked on Monday, is he getting tired and coming from the CFL and playing here and injuries and kind of all of that. Uh, any other thoughts kind of on either the, the, Birmingham upswing here are the breakers and then we can hit the North a little bit. Um, I mean, I, I like what I've seen from a Claude Bethel Thompson. I, I mean, even last week in the loss, it wasn't like he was making just dreadful decisions or anything that I think is a, a true long-term problem. Um, I think your fatigue thing could, could be, you know, potentially an issue, but I, I mean, looking at the, the quarterbacks in that division, I, I do think that, I mean, Alex Magoo has settled into a real nice groove and the running ability that he brings to the table is just such a different dynamic than what McLeod Bethel Thompson brings for um, the breakers. But at the same time, and CJ Maribel is coming off of a, of a very good game. I don't want to diminish that, but I, I think the the missing piece of Bo Scarborough, they had to adjust to a little bit. I mean, he's he would be right in the discussion with with the Mark Thompson and the West Hills of, of the South Division as just a bell cow who can you can run your offense through. And I think it took them a little bit to find their footing there. But I, I would say that that the Stallions are probably I, I mean, are certainly on the upswing. But I think that the breakers can match them offensively and uh I just think I do still think that they are the top two teams in the division with Houston just nipping at their heels. But that's really the difference between um, the quarterbacks of those those teams. I just have less faith in Kenji Bahar. So, well, that's the thing is, I mean, in Kenji, you know, we saw him get banged up a little bit. Uh, you know, Mark Thompson really does kind of feel like a cheat code right now, right? Where yeah. I mean, God, God forbid, with the gamblers to be without that. I, I mean, do they? It feels like they're in second here, just kind of by default. I mean, do you do you see the gamblers challenging? We had the weird—I don't know if you tracked this week—we had the weird like USFL playoffs, and it looked like they were changing the playoff scenarios, and then they weren't. And I, you know, reached out to the league and kind of got—I was like, "What is what is happening here?" But you know, keeping it the same, you know, divisions one seed playing the two seed. I mean, I don't see a world where the gamblers stay at the number two. Or do you agree or disagree? Um, I mean, bar obviously barring injury, which is is what I think the default is. Uh, I, I would say they're they're probably the third place finisher in the division, and that we're looking at the Breakers and Stallions. And I mean, even though we talked about Memphis reeling off three in a row, and it's impressive that they are at a, a dead even for a point differential since they got beat forty two to two in in uh, by the Stallions. But um, ultimately, I would say uh, you can tear the South. Uh, with the Breakers and Stallions in Tier 1, the Gamblers by themselves in Tier 2, and Memphis just a tick behind. 
Uh, poor Todd Haley there. He's going to come yell at you on the sidelines here. Uh, here the other way with this, you know, stars were, were my team last year. Yep. Uh, you know, obviously made it to the championship game. Case Cook has been on the show. Uh, I, I just, they've had two wins now without offensive touchdowns at all. Uh, it seems very weird. I don't know if our uh, Andrews is just like tired. If we're, we've kind of given up on this, it feels weird here at week six going into seven. What do you make of the stars? Man, uh, I guess the expression a win is a win really is apt for them. I mean, they have just gutted out two wins. I will say the thing that I'm most encouraged about is that the defense has played significantly better the last two weeks. I expected West Hills to absolutely run wild against that run defense, but I mean, they weren't exactly great against the Generals running game. Uh, Darius Victor kind of just coughed up the ball three times into their lap and um, but at the same time, I, I don't see quarterback play and, and offensive consistency from the Generals, Maulers, or Panthers to challenge the Stars if they find even a modicum of the same footing they had last year. And I think um, even though they haven't scored offensive touchdowns the last two weeks, last week was the closest I've seen them resemble the 2022 version of the Stars. They had Colburn look efficient and fast and played it just a different level than he's played most of this season uh and the fact that they were able to really generate a running game last week Bart Andrews is always going to lean heavily into the pass and I think that that's ultimately uh, I mean it was an effective strategy last year but they've needed the offensive line to play better and I think they did play better last week uh my god that Keith Cook is interception along the sideline is one of the dumbest plays I've ever seen on a football field in my entire life. And I'm not embellishing at all, but otherwise, I mean, I feel like he did a good job of, of circumventing pressure. And I thought the offensive line did some very good things last week that has me a little bit more encouraged than I, sh I would have. If you told me that they won two games without scoring an offensive touchdown, I wouldn't probably have expected to feel encouraged but after the last two weeks and, and seeing them move the ball last week i think that they have something cooking a little bit there it feel the stars feel like and i don't know if you're a survivor fan uh, i watched the first 40 seasons of survivor follow followed off after all of that but it feels like the stars are kind of like when, when they would do like heroes versus villains and they would bring back okay we're going to bring back all the all-stars we're going to bring back case cookies but you know we had kobe donaldson back in season two but now he's like fat colby and he doesn't really like <laughs> he's a little bit older and he's a little more banged up and he can't really compete. Like it feels the stars that way. Like we're bringing everybody back, but nobody feels like they were the first time around. It feels like they're either slower or more tired or beat up or injured. or just not quite as good. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, and, and maybe there was a little bit of resting on their laurels coming into the season, especially since they did have a successful week one against Memphis. I mean, the offense looked great in week one and I wonder if maybe they were kind of uh, buying into to their own hype to an extent and just not putting their best foot forward. And they've kind of needed that wake up call the last few weeks um, because I, I mean, on paper uh, you're swapping out and in a somewhat indirect sense, uh, Buck Howard for Corey Coleman is just a, a monster field stretcher and pro Wells has done a pretty good job stepping in for, for Buck this year. So I, I don't know. I thought this was going to be a juggernaut offense uh, with especially in the backfield. I think that was an underrated aspect coming into, it. I mean, Matt Colburn, everybody knew looked good, but Dexter Williams looked good down the stretch as just a grinding, sustaining back to as a nice change of pace to 
to what Colburn was doing as an explosive runner. So I, I do wonder if maybe they, they kind of uh, bought into what they were doing last year and kind of didn't bring forth the, the, the best effort so far this year. And, and now it's kind of coming back together. I think this weekend will be a true test. I mean, again, against Pittsburgh, I mean, you're facing a, a stout defense that if you don't bring your A game, you're going to struggle. So I, I think this will be a really telling week for, for what they are the rest of the season. Uh, one of my favorite things in the last game with the stars was watching uh, case and Bart kind of on the sidelines, like watching the replays, like I was out of bounds. Like that doesn't get, it's kind of like a, another survivor reference when we had a uh, RS uh, yelling at Terry Dietz to call the, call the wambulance so back in, I think it was uh, Guatemala. What, what season was that? But you know, I, like he's like, I was out of bounds. I'm like, you were, but but I do I do feel like the 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 I can't remember the individual that got the interception. I do feel like his foot was on the line. I don't know if we got. I know we uh, corroborated that Case was in bounds, but it didn't mm-hmm. feel like that toe was on the line of the New Orleans, which was uh, quite the uh, the interception celebration where they had done like the ten minute <laughs> review. They're like, I think they're still going there. I think they're still uh, cheering in I- the end zone. I enjoyed the broadcast uh, making note of that being the longest interception celebration they've ever seen. I mean, Joel Klatt is just so good. I can't say enough good things about, about him on the broadcast. And I, he, I, I believe if I remember correctly, he even chuckled a little bit watching the replay and hearing Case say to, to Bart, my foot was out. He's like, no, buddy, your foot was not out at all. And, and I was kind of chuckling myself, frustrated, but all you can do is laugh at, at something like that. And it's, I'm glad you brought up the sideline. Uh, interaction because it, circling back to the South momentarily, I thought for sure Jay Sternberger was going to find himself on the pine after getting chewed out for uh, not following an assignment last week. And, and then to see him involved again, I think they'll speak to um, just the tight ship that they run for, for Birmingham. But yeah, I mean, I, the best, my, my, my probably favorite thing about the USFL, and, and I know we're getting in, going back to uh little bit earlier discussion is just the access. I mean, the access in these spring leagues is just phenomenal. Uh, I wish USFL's weird in terms of the things that they poke fun at, right? Like we're okay with like blob. He did the cartwheel and like the head yep. fell off. Okay. We're like, we're okay with that. I wish they were a little bit more, you know, we celebrated the, the, um, you know, the, the Pittsburgh, uh, the, was it the showboats uh, return kick right on the Maulers, right? Okay. We celebrated that longest. I would have loved to have seen like longest, uh, interception celebration, like yep. official, like official. This is, the, you know, and just poke a little bit of fun at that. Like, I think that's okay. Where they, they'll joke with blob and Dave, the wave and them, you know, yum yelling at who they had the guy yelling at blob. Like you're not even a real mascot. You don't <laughs> even talk like, I like all that, but I wish that they played, but see like they're real football. So they can't, they can't joke about the football. They can joke about it, but we don't like we play really real football, but we have fun with everything else. Yeah. And I mean, they, they poked fun at Alex Magoo in the wall incident. Uh, and and I, I enjoyed the levity there. I mean, have some fun with it, with this kind of access. Like, and I mean, God, we're still going back to the Darius Victor thick thighs save lives. Like I, 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 I am enjoying the more human side of it. And I, I agree. I definitely think even the football aspects of it, poke some fun at it, the celebrations. I mean, I, I mean, this is supposed to be the fun. These are supposed to be fun leagues for these guys to showcase not only themselves, but as players, but as people. So have some fun with it. I, I, I agree with you. I've said both. I think, I think the XFL carries itself far too seriously. Sometimes just obviously, 
knowing their past and everything else. I think the USFL is in that as well. And I think it's just like, like we're Fox sports. Like we don't, uh, last question here. We'll do rapid fire matchups before we get out of here. Uh, okay. Mahler's historically worst team now in spring football history. I mean, we had debates last year against the guardians. They looked like they were on the rise and now they've fallen back down to earth. What do you make of the Maulers? Coming into this year, I, I definitely would have said the Maulers were the worst team. The 2022 Maulers were, were the worst team in spring football that I've ever seen. But uh, their defense is, is too stout for me to put them behind the Guardians at this point. I would say their defense is the best unit between both teams. Uh, the offense has been laughably bad, but I mean, you could say the same thing about the Guardians' defense. They weren't stopping a cold in the XFL. And I, I mean, the thing that killed me with the Guardians was, I, I believe it was maybe week six or seven, they talked about Terrell Buckley running two-a-days, and I just shook my head. It's just like, what are we even doing at this point? It was, it was, It was a tough watch, and it just makes it all the more mind-boggling that they didn't finish 0-10 and that they managed to spring an upset against the defenders. But uh, ultimately, I would say the Maulers have crept just past the Guardians, but that's about as far as I can as I can go with them right now. <laughs> that, it's, a, it's a debate. It's a tale as old as time yep. here. Which one on that? Uh, so here we go. We got uh, Breakers. Uh, uh, excuse me. We have Stallions Breakers here coming up back in Birmingham. What do you make about this 1 o'clock Saturday? I think this is the game of the week. We're going to start off with, with the – Arguably the two best teams in the USFL squaring off. Uh, the Stallions had their number last year. The Breakers played phenomenal in the first meeting. I think that the Stallions are, are probably going to get the better of the Breakers right now. Uh, I think that they're still kind of going through uh, adjusting after two awful weeks offensively, whereas Magoo is, Alex Magoo has just been locked in. And I think, uh, I think that's going to be the difference right now. Like we said, the Stallions are ascending and the Breakers are kind of hitting the skids at this point. But at this point, nothing would shock me if West Hills goes out and has a dominant game and puts them on his back. Sage Surak keeps moving the sticks and McLeod Bethel Thompson just flips the switch. I, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, I, I don't know if McLeod just needs to kind of write himself here. It just feels – I felt bad. There was a whole CFL contingent that came down to watch him play at Michigan last week and just, uh, you know, kind of horrendous game there from the Breakers' point of view. Uh, coming into the Stars here, uh, I guess ascending. I don't <laughs> – if you don't like uh, – but but here, Mahler, what do you make about this? See, uh, I, I, I think the Stars are going to keep the momentum up this week. I really think they found something in the running game last week. Uh, the Maulers aren't the easiest team to run against, but if they can just keep themselves to second and third and manageable, I, I think they can do enough on offense because the Maulers are just struggling mightily. I, I really thought that they had found something on offense with the running game and, and some mobility at quarterback, but then they just posted a bagel last week. And the bar is just uh, – they're, they're putting too much on the defense's plate with the offense just not pulling their weight. I, I do think that the Stars have enough balance to, to squeak out a win this week. And, and, I mean, put some distance between themselves and, and the bottom of the division. And I think that's got to be Bart's message this week to, to the club is that we can really put ourselves in a great position to make the postseason with a win this week. Do you think Bart should kind of let his hair go gray? Do you think that yes. the hair dye – do you think the hair – I don't think the hair dye is working for him anymore. Is no. It? I think the gray with with the the thinning on top. I think everything. I think the gray is it needs to come. Yeah, it needs to come. We need to let that go. Uh, th this might be a scary one. I think you tell me which is scarier. Scary Terry here. We got the gamblers at Showboats and then the Panthers at Generals. Uh, this could be a trip up spot for the gamblers. I, I mean, I, I have more faith in Mark Thompson carrying 
Houston's offense than Memphis putting together uh, a solid offensive attack this week. But, I mean, Memphis just keeps scraping together wins. I mean, you could say the same thing about Houston. I, I thought they played a more well-balanced game. I have a little bit more faith in, in Houston ultimately. But that, that game, I, I don't have any conviction in picking at this point. This could be the scariest weekend here. Uh, you know, I know we, the ratings were down a little bit this week with the XFL not being on. I mean, we have the one Fox game. That's going to be the best game, like you said, on mm-hmm. kind of Fox proper. I think this FS1 will be all right. I think there's interest. I think the stars still kind of carry that cachet. But this, yeah. to me, the USA FS1 of the Gamblers, Showboats, Panthers, Generals, uh, just – uh, I don't know about that. We haven't talked a ton. Panthers, obviously, you know, winless at home here. Do you think they bounce back now that they're on the road back in uh, Canton? <laughs> I I wish I had more uh, faith in the quarterback room. I mean, Carson Strong and injured reserve uh, leaves it all on Josh Love's plate essentially right now. But it's not as if New Jersey's getting stellar quarterback play right now. I was surprised to see Kyle Lauletta play the entire game last week, uh, especially when they went to the sideline and DeAndre Johnson said that the game plan was for him to get in. So it wasn't as if there was an injury keeping him out because I know the broadcast booth did speculate a little bit that he, he was banged up in the previous game and wondered if maybe that was why he wasn't on the field. And perhaps he, he was instructed to just kind of go with the, the narrative that he would play, but, I mean, he was suited up and he looked like he could have gone in. And when Laoletta struggled, I thought for sure they would put Johnson in to provide a spark. Maybe they do this week. Maybe they lean. I mean, Mike Riley loves to lean on his backs in the running game. It seems like a good week to do it with the Panthers struggling to score. Just win a low-scoring affair. I, I, I would take the generals in this one. Um which it's it's funny. I just think if you put DeAndre Johnson on the Panthers with that combination of Reggie Corbin and Stevie Scott, they, they would just have such a more explosive and dynamic offense for what they'd like to do. That that lack of quarterback mobility, like true game-changing mobility, I think hurts them a little bit, especially since they're just not getting enough out of their pass-catching corps. Uh, uh, Trey Quinn has flashed this year. He had a great game last week, and, and uh but ultimately, I, I have more faith in Mike Riley and, and the generals gutting it out this week. But that could be a very ugly, ugly game. Yeah, we'll see. I'm curious how this week works at week seven. Uh, Josh, anything else from you? Where can people find your work? I really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, they can find my work at Fantasy Pros and, and Betting Pros. Uh, I write up a USFL DFS piece every week for Fantasy Pros, and I offer some betting insights, which has been kind of ice cold lately, but uh, at Betting Pros, and I, I give you the, uh, uh, the thought process behind every bet so you can make your own informed decision whether, whether you agree with my logic or not, but I like to show how the sausage is made and kind of lead you to water instead of uh, forcing you to drink it sort of deal. <laughs> I like that. Josh, I appreciate it. Tremendous resources here. Thank you so much. Thanks, Reed. Well, there we go. Uh, loaded show, like I said. Uh, you know, thought uh, John came across, like I said, very well today. I think, uh, I think it's the same thing. Like I come on here, do the show. I, I enjoy kind of doing shows outside of this and kind of being able to talk more long form that way. Like when I'm on John Lewis's podcast or anything like that. So I appreciate that. I thought John, that was a great conversation. Really appreciate Greg making time late at night coming on to do that. And then obviously Ryan Valentine, uh, everyone over at the Elks for setting up Trey Ford. 
going to be looking to get more into the CFL here. We have lots of team previews next week coming in for the CFL season. And then I teased it on the live stream on Monday, but we're going to have a special CFL kickoff pregame show live before that game here on June 8th. Is that June 8th? And then uh, I'm going to have a special, uh, somewhat cool uh, project. I, I still need to talk with Andy Murray about this, but Andy, I have a cool project we're going to work forward to here week after next. So it should be good. But lots of CFL team previews next week. Still working on some other guests. Hope you guys enjoy. Thanks everyone who contributed this week, taking time to come on the program, set things up. And obviously all of you for listening. I hope you have a great weekend. Take care.